I just might hang on to the black gloves, brother, because everybody knows what a man with a pair of black gloves on and a black rag on his head is capable of doing, dude. More late-breaking news. Allegedly, one of the top officials at the WWF is history over the weekend. Plus, I've heard that Rumored, one of their top superstars, also getting into a fight in the parking lot with a fan and coming out of the short end of the stick. Whoa! You better get the fireman out there with the nets. The giant has got Hulk Hogan on the edge of the roof of Cobo Hall. Oh, my. Oh, no. Oh, no. Off of that. Somebody get him off of there. I Get him look. off of there! Oh, oh, oh. No! No! Oh my god! No! Oh no! Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to October of 1995 for Volume 1 of this month's show. Volume 2 is the WWF show, looking at In Your House 4. Volume 3 is ECW. This is Volume 1, we're looking at WCW and Halloween Havoc. I'm being joined first by Wayne Lithgow. Wayne, good evening. Hello, hi, Bob. And Tom Martin. Good evening, Bob. Uh, Tom, kick us off with the news. Okay, so WCW ran their Halloween Havoc pay-per-view this month a show that featured the giant getting murdered before returning 15 minutes later to take part in the main event anyway. After losing the sumo monster truck challenge to Hogan on top of Kobo Hall, the pair got into a struggle on the ledge of the five-story building. Hogan struck giant, seeing him fall off the building, if not to his impending doom, but at least theoretically into the Detroit River. So you'd be forgiven for being a bit surprised when giant walked out for the main event seemingly unscathed and the match ended in a DQ. There has been significant movement this month in setting up a Hulk Hogan heel turn. After being shown of his trademark trademark moustache by the Taskmaster, Hogan returned to television for the remainder of the month dressed entirely in black and referencing O.J. Simpson by saying, everyone knows what a man in black gloves and a black rag can do. While it's actually thought Hulk Hogan will be taking some time off, it's said he is aware of the change in reaction, including getting heavily booed in Chicago. A few people have suggested Hogan might become part of the next four horsemen. Halloween Havoc saw a number of turns, most of which came in the main event. Hogan defeated the Giant by DQ, but only after Jimmy Hart nailed him with his title belt, which the Giant left with. After that, Randy Savage and Lex Luger ran out to save Hogan from a Dungeon of Doom beatdown, before Luger turned and attacked Savage and Hogan. Earlier in the show, to the surprise of absolutely nobody, Ric Flair turned on Sting, reuniting with Arn Anderson alongside Brian Pillman. It's said that Chris Benoit will round out the new Horseman group. Vader was officially fired by the WCW on the 10th of October due to the backstage incident with Paul Orndorff that was detailed last month. Officially, Vader was actually released after being unable to wrestle for 90 days following shoulder injury he picked up in a match with Hogan at the Bash at the Beach. 
It's thought Vader will take some time off and heal the injuries, but many believe he will be courted by New Japan and the WWF. Halloween Havoc also saw Johnny B. Bad defeat Diamond Dallas Page for the WCW television title. The tag match between Anderson and Pillman against Sting and Flair went to a disqualification when Flair turned on Sting. Sting worked the entire match partially due to Flair carrying an injury. Randy Savage defeated the Zodiac, who replaced Kamala as he decided he'd rather quit than lose. Elsewhere, there were wins for Kurosawa, Sabu, Luger and Savage again, who defeated Luger later in the same show. In the TV ratings battle that we know of so far for October, WCW came off pretty well against WWF Monday Night Raw. While they didn't outright win any of the weeks, they tied once and lost once out marginally elsewhere. Given that Nitro was live on the West Coast at 6pm and Raw doesn't, this is another factor in their favour. The big winner, however, was the wrestling as a whole. The combined viewership one week this month was a 5.2 rating. WCW's November pay-per-view will be called World War 3 and we'll see a three-ring, 60-man, over-the-top rope battle royal headline the show. Elsewhere, it's said that Eddie Guerrero has been getting very favourable reactions with kids at centre stage. And finally, it's said that Sting initially vetoed the idea of Flair turning on him at Havoc, believing it would make his character look stupid. We open up Monday Nitro on October the 2nd. Ric Flair yanks the headset off of Eric Bischoff during the opening to promote his match with Ian Anderson. Eric Bischoff calls the Savage Luger match as their quote-unquote opening main event of the evening. Bischoff then wants people to call up the WCW hotline so they can listen to Mike Tenay telling them what's happening on Monday Night Raw, all for $1.50 per minute. Luger and Savage start with such a long collar and elbow tight that it hasn't broken by the time they go for commercial. At one point during the match, the pair have to struggle while both attempting a backslide. Luger, still a babyface at this point, alleviates some of the pressure by using the ropes for leverage. In a shock to absolutely no one, there's a ref bump. Savage drops the elbow, but there's no referee to make the count. Then out comes the giant, who chokes down Savage. The ref comes too. Luger puts Savage in the torture rack, and Savage loses by passing out. Disco Inferno literally comes out dancing on the stage. Eddie Guerrero comes out and sees him off ahead of his match with Dean Malenko. Hulk Hogan arrives in a limo during the match. He says he's here to confront the giant. Guerrero picks up the victory with a quick pin. Not very long, but this is another good outing for the duo. After the match, Belenko says he wants the rematch. Guerrero agrees to it. Hogan is in the ring with Mean Gene. Hogan says he's here for a child named Jason Pittman, who he was with the day before, who is about to have a double lung transplant. Jason told him to look the giant in the eye, so that's why he's here. Hogan starts high-fiving fans at ringside, then an old woman with a cane throws powder in his eyes and starts attacking him with a walking stick. It turns out the old woman is the taskmaster. Giant comes out, rips off Hogan's neck brace, then snaps Hogan's neck again. Then Taskmaster takes some clippers to Hogan's trademark moustache. Eric Bischoff implies that the giant attempting to murder Hulk Hogan isn't quite as significant as Hogan losing his trademark moustache. Out come the tag team champions, the American males, the, the giant lays waste to them. Then the nasty boys, who also get taken out. Then the Zodiac, aka the barber, comes out and takes scissors to Hogan's hair. 
In the main event, Ric Flair appeared to be Arn Anderson cleanly as referee Nick Patrick called for the bell while Anderson was in the figure four. It's also possible that Patrick called for a disqualification before Brian Pillman actually got involved. After the match, Pillman and Anderson attacked Flair. Next week in the main event, we're going to get Flair versus Anderson inside of a steel cage. We open Saturday night on October the 7th with Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman defeating Dirty Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck. They're selling more dissension in, dissension in the stud stable. Parker is carrying some flowers for Sister Sherry. We cut to a clip from WCW Worldwide. Now Ric Flair is trying to get Randy Savage to team with him against Pillman and Anderson. Savage is so keen he has to be held back by four people. We're back in the Dungeon of Doom. They're talking up the Giant against Hogan for Halloween Havoc. Giant says he's going to snap the neck of Hogan and take everything that he has. The next match is the rematch between Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko, which WCW built quite well throughout the show. A few minutes in, Alex Wright walks out, seemingly out on a scouting mission. After the match that wasn't quite as good as their ECW encounters, but easily the best thing on WCW television in months, Malenko hits a butt five suplex into a powerbomb for the pin. After winning squash match, Johnny Bad talks to me and Gene Oakland. He says that Diamond Dallas Page has a lot of money, but money can't buy you heart. In the main event, we get Big Bubba and Hacksaw Jim Duggan in a rematch from last week. Out comes VK Wall Street with Duggan's 2x4. Bubba hits Wall Street by accident and Duggan lays him out with a take fist punch for the win. After the match, Wall Street and Bubba lay into Duggan. We end the show with a package looking at Hulk Hogan's monster truck. Nitro on Monday the 9th of October starts with Heenan, Bischoff and McMichael all wearing NFL jerseys. Bischoff is wearing the number one, Heenan's shirt has a question mark on the back. Sting interrupts their intro and says the problem with Stavage and Luger need to end and he's going to solve them. We open with the US title match between Sting and the Shark. These two work a two minute version of their pay-per-view matches from earlier this year. Sting returns to the crossbody block from top rope. During the match between Sabu and Mr. JL, an audible Hogan Sucks chant breaks out. We're in Chicago, for what that's worth. The match ends with Sabu catching JL into a powerbomb before losing, locking in the camel clutch for the victory. Sabu, being Sabu, does a sunset flip powerbomb to JL on the outside after the match has ended. We're in the ring with Oakland, Luger and Sting, who calls out Randy Savage. Savage asks why the Giant hasn't put his hands on Sting yet. Sting suggests Savage and Luger should have a match at the pay-per-view. Luger disagrees. Sting then goes in and Luger eventually accepts the match for Ryan that Savage and him both win their respective matches. We cut to a limousine. Outside, out steps Chris Benoit. He says, WCW, where the big boys play. Disco Inferno walks out during Big Bubba's entrance to play his entrance theme. Inferno jumps on the apron during the match between Bubba and Robar at Hawk. Hawk chases him up the aisleway and gets counted out. Hawk is very popular in Chicago. Hulk Hogan is out, decked out completely in black. That, plus the lack of moustache, creates a very surreal look. Hogan is being booed throughout his promo. During the promo, we cut outside to the monster truck carrying the giant, Kevin Sullivan and Zodiac. The giant isn't being allowed in, but Hogan goes to follow him out. Normally you'd have to buy a pay-per-view to see a match like this, but WCW is bringing it to you live on TNT. The words of Rick, Eric Bischoff as Ric Flair and Ironson started the main event cage match on the show. Flying Brian ascends the cage, Flair follows him up to the other side and knocks him to the outside. With the referees you obscured, Anderson struck Flair with some brass knuckles. Bobby Heenan claimed it was a quote of forearm shiver. Flair storms over to the announcer's division and challenges Pillman and Anderson to a match next week. Flair says he will look the world over for a partner, but if he can't find one, he'll wrestle a handicap match. Eric Bischoff goes off the air talking about the dark side of Hulk Hogan. 
Now we're about six minutes into this TV review and you'll notice we're about halfway through it. So we're going to cut to a promo and then we'll come back for the second half. Can't you see what's going on around here? The Giant is winning the game. The Giant has chokeslammed Hogan. He's chokeslammed you. He's chokeslammed you. And he's going to go on chokeslamming around here. Oh, what about that? How come he's chokeslammed Luger and me and he's destroyed Hogan? How come he hasn't put his hands on you, Stinger? How would you like to say something about that I right now? I got something to say about it. First of all, you're paranoid, Macho. You're real paranoid. Really? And you're real insecure. I got no reason for that. I have no idea. But I got a problem here. We all want to be world heavyweight champion here at WCW. Everybody who puts on a pair of tights wants to be champion. We've all been there at one time or another, haven't we? That's exactly right. That makes, that makes us Make want it. Point. Let me tell you something. You shut up right now and don't slap anybody in the face. You might slap the wrong person, okay? Oh, really? what I have to Is say. That right? Just listen. Halloween Havoc. You gotta face Ming. You gotta face Kamala. You pull off a win if you pull off a win against Kamala. And if you pull off a win against Ming, I say you guys go at it. I like it! Whoa, 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 wait just a second. We talked about a rematch. I agreed to a rematch. But I didn't say anything about Halloween Havoc. I've got a big mess with Ming. You're putting words in my mouth. Oh, sting, sting. Oh, man. That is pathetic. You're putting words into my mouth. What kind of... You are disgusting. Are you the total package? You don't look like the total package, man. I've been sticking up for you left and right around here, and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of being a babysitter. So let me tell you, are you up for it? Are you up for the match? Look, man. Yes or no? Yes or no? I guess I'm not even talking to the total package, am I? Yes, you are talking to the total package, and don't you ever forget it. I'll take care of business and Howie Havoc. If you can do the same, I'll see you in the ring. We get a date. Don't be late, because I want the world title. Just like On to October 14th with WCW Saturday Night. We cut to a WCW Pro earlier in the day and Ric Flair is still attempting to talk Sting into being his tag team partner. A rare in-ring segment for Saturday Night, Flair calls out a group of children to the ring all wearing Sting face paint. Sting finally relents but with the caveat that if Flair swerves him at any point, he will leave him for dead. We get a promo with Arlinson and Brian Pillman. They finish by doing the Four Horsemen sign. Alex Wright defeats Disco Inferno after Wright German suplex Disco after he stopped his dance with his back turn. Sting and Lex Luger win a tag team squash and we finish with another Hulk Hogan promo, all decked out in black. We start Nitro on October the 16th with Darwin Dallas Page against Jory Bad for the TV title. As Bad isn't fit uh, to wrestle on this show, Page gets sick of him pandering to the crowd so he whacks him over the back of the head with a belt. It's a disqualification. Page still takes the opportunity to pin Bad and then fire off his pyro gun. Next up is Eddie Guerrero against Chris Benoit. Steve McMichael references Benoit as, quote, the Canadian crippler, basically a gimmick from ECW. And Heenan says Benoit has put more people on the shelf than anyone else. 
The action, as you'd expect, is phenomenal. Guerrero hits a springboard DDT at one point, catching Benoit perfectly. Benoit gets his knees up off of a frog splash. A frog splash. Then Guerrero hits, then hits Guerrero with a brutal power bomb that Guerrero somehow kicks out of. Benoit wins with a bridging full Nelson. Not a great match, but a match full of some fantastic spots. Well worth going out of your way to watch this one. That's October the 16th, Nitro. Mean Gene Oakland is in the middle of the ring, mentions the WWF by name, and invites people to call the hotline to find out about, and he doesn't mention either of these two by name, but Bill Watts' departure and Shawn Michaels' altercation. Ric Flair comes out for the main event against Iron Anderson and Brian Pillman, but Sting isn't there. Flair goes all out, and the story they were telling on commentary was that Sting saw Flair fighting valiantly and thought he might have changed. Sting and Flair win by countout. Sting gets on the mic and says he thinks Flair is on the straight and narrow, the pair high five. We start Saturday night on October 21st with a match with the American Males and the State Patrol, Sister Sherry is out taking notes on them. Parker joins her and literally sweeps her off her feet. BK Wall Street defeats Jim Duggan thanks to help from Big Bubba. Alex Wright and Eddie Guerrero go to a time of a draw. We get a debut vignette of the, quote, man in question, who you may remember as Crash the Terminator from a brief appearance in ECW a couple of years ago. He loses to Randy Savage. Main defeats Dave Sullivan. In the main event, John Bound throws Mr. Wonderful to the outside, breaking his mirror. Aldorf goes nuts, runs backstage and desperately tries to reach Gary Spivey. He claims the mirror has brought him seven years of bad luck. Bad wins by countout. On tonight's on October 23rd, we open up with Randy Savage facing off against Kurosawa. After more back-leg round kicks than you can shake a stick at, Savage pins Kurosawa with a top rope elbow drop. After the match, the light goes out and King Curtis appears. Curtis unveils an iceberg, which Taskmaster says contains, quote, the Yeti. During Taskmaster's rambling promo, the crowd do start Hogan chant. Hogan is out, again all decked out in black. Hogan says, quote, Everyone knows what a man in black gloves and a black rag can do. Next up is tag team action. Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko versus Eddie Guerrero and Mr. JL. Mr. JL is out replacing Alex Wright, who comes to the ringside on crutches. We interrupt the match here, brawl backstage between the Shark and Scott Norton. As some excellent action in the ring, Wright tripped Dean Malenko using his crutch and Mr. JL pinned Malenko. As Guerrero is walking to the back, Brian Pillman runs out and DDTs him. Pillman throws up the Fort Horseman hand sign as he retreats. As Harlem Heat are walking out for the main event, Eric Bischoff invites people to call the hotline to find out about wrestling from all across the world, including all the news from, quote, In your house, is that what they call it? Stephen Michael says the house is starting to stink. Steve is out dressed in red and yellow. He's teamed with Lex Luger against the Heat. WCW is still going with the over-the-top-rope disqualification thing. Sting hit-tosses Booker T over the top rope. Bischoff explains it away by saying, quote, it wasn't intentional. Sting won the match for the pin, but out comes the giant who chokes Lance Luger, then Sting. Savage runs out and the pair square off, then Hogan runs out, ushers Savage out of the ring and circles the giant. Giant knocks Hogan's down, but Hogan hulks up, starts to get the giant rocking and the Dungeon of Doom run out. Savage and Hogan run them off, but Doug Dillinger runs them off as well. We then cut back to the iceberg, it explodes, and we get a very brief shot of the Yeti as it goes off the air. October 28th brings us the last Saturday night of the month, and the last one before Halloween Havoc. Teddy Long is out scouting a match between Eddie Guerrero and Joey Maggs. We have new tag team champions of Harlem Heat defeat the American Males thanks to Sister Sherry getting involved. The Heat win the tag titles for the fourth time in a match that was taped in September. 
Ric Flair and Sting successfully team up defeating State Patrol. Lex Luger takes on the Shark. Taskmaster seems to be egging Luger on, which confuses Shark. More bizarrely, steals the interference of Meng, who kicks the Shark in the back of the head by design. Taskmaster says, see you tomorrow at Luger as he walks off. We end the show with Hogan in the Dungeon of Doom, alone, cutting a promo. Hulk Hogan, six days and counting to the showdown in the Motor City. Man versus man, machine versus machine. You and the Giant. Well, you know something to me, Gene? I know it's the 11th hour, brother. And a lot of people around the world, around that WCW, think that Hulk Hogan is boxed in, brother. you got Kevin Sullivan. you got the master creeping up behind me. And even the Yeti has insurance policy, brother. But even though I walk through the valley of a dungeon of doom, brother, I fear no evil, dude, because... The only thing to fear is evil itself, brother. And even though I walk through that dark valley, there's only one set of footprints, brother. I don't fear no man, because on my back, I carry all those little Hulkamaniacs that believe in the prayers, the training, and the vitamins, brother. Whoa, Wing Gene. You know, my concerns this week have been a lot of things about what to do with the black gloves, the black bandana about what to do with a giant's carcass. Well, number one, after Detroit, brother, after everybody sees what I do with this nasty giant, I just might hang on to the black gloves, brother, because everybody knows what a man with a pair of black gloves on and a black rag on his head is capable of doing, dude. That's why in the Motor City, I'm not going to lick my wounds anymore. That's why in the Motor City, I called my main man, Tony Carlini, at the California Connection, because I'm going to get me a big, fat Harley. After I bust that giant up, I'm going to drag him around until he disintegrates, because ashes to ashes, dust to dust, once I drag that giant around my bike, in the holster, they'll still trust. You know, you got a lot of guys kind of bailing out here at the 11th hour. Can I mention the names of... Of Sting, of the Macho Man Randy Savage, Lex Luger. Oh, my so-called friends, brother. The Sting, the Macho Man and Lex Luger. Look at the Stinger. He's got the holsters ready on. He's going to Fu Manchu, just like Kevin Sullivan, man. Sting, Luger, Macho Man, as you're hovering my carcass while I was injured, just waiting to pick my bones, brother. You better all get in line. You little dogs better get on the porch and decide who's got the biggest bark, brother, because the big dog right here, the bad guy, Hulk Hogan, is going to be waiting on you, brother. So when you decide who's bad enough, come on down, and I'll be Sting, I'll be Luger, and I'll be the Macho Man one at a time. In Detroit, brother, it's machine versus machine, and then me and the giant will go to war. And what you going to do when the man in black destroys you? And we will start with the main event that airs before Halloween Havoc. Well done for getting through that TV review, as it's this show is on the 29th of October. We do have a lot to review beforehand. Uh, we have an up main event. Eddie Guerrero defeats Disco Inferno with a Hurricane Rana via the top rope, which Eric Bischoff calls a victory roll. Mean Gene Oakland interviews the Giant in his racing overalls. Giant says he's going to push Hogan clean off of Kobo Hall. He's going to be swimming with the fish. Mr. Wonderful defeats the Renegade with two pile drivers. Wonderful hasn't lost his ability to get a crowd pop while wrestling Renegade, who apparently is going to be taking some time off of TV so they can develop him. 
In the final match on the show, Craig Pittman defeated VK Wall Street and, as Tommy's now going to take us through, we had a rather good tag team match in the middle between Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko and the Blue Bloods. Tom. Okay, so Eric Bischoff explains before the match that for those of you that like the technical, more scientific type of wrestling, you're going to get a good look at some of the very best in this sport today. And I think he was partially correct. So, Benoit and Regal start the match with a collar and elbow tie-up. Regal pushes Benoit into the corner with a, follows up with a stiff forearm. Benoit responds with a tackle for a quick pin attempt. And Regal does an impressive flip-up and the pair engage in a test of strength. Regal attempts a pin and Benoit is now the one that flips up onto his feet. Benoit delivers a monkey flip and the pair keep their hands locked. Benoit rolls back to lift Regal and to throw him through the middle rope to the outside. When returning to the outside apron, Regal's greeted with a flying clothesline from Benoit on the middle turnbuckle out to the, out to the outside. Back in the ring, Benoit tags in Malenko, who hits a fisherman suplex for a two count. Eaton tags in and throws Malenko into the corner and is greeted with a high boot. Malenko jumps and leaps from the second turn buckle with a very lovely bulldog. Malenko Irish whips Eaton and hits him with a drop kick for a two count. Eaton reverses an Irish whip and delivers a pop-up backbreaker. Benoit makes the save and hits Regal with a drop kick. Regal inadvertently distracts the ref while Malenko climbs to the top. Benoit hoists Eaton up, puts him back down and hoists him up again, seemingly botching the attempted link with Malenko on the top rope. Malenko climbs down, Benoit gets annoyed, and powerbombs Eaton anyway. Malenko re-enters as the legal man and sets up Eaton for a face stomp. Regal tags in and suckers Malenko in for some forearms and uppercuts. Malenko reverses an Irish whip into the turnbuckle. Regal hops around Malenko from the second rope and seemingly looks for a roll-up, which Malenko squats on Regal with a pin attempt for a two. The pair go through an impressive sequence of two counts and pin attempts, which ends in a standoff. The crowd seem to appreciate their efforts. They tussle for position, and Malenko boosts himself up on Regal's thigh to roll down into an armbar. Regal stands holding Malenko's full body weight, and is rolled back down, only to stand again holding Malenko, and slams, uh, sorry, and stands um, holding Malenko's full body weight with the hold still applied. Eaton breaks up with a jump from the top rope. Another two count. And Eaton comes off the ropes with a spinning neckbreaker and an elbow drop for a two count. Eaton slams Malenko and flies from the top with a knee drop. And Regal tags back in and locks in a modified STF, which Benoit breaks. The two exchange knees and Malenko delivers a side suplex. Benoit finally gets the tag in, chops Regal and whips him in for a snap clothesline. Eaton takes a shot from Benoit and uh, Benoit gets a two count. A snap suplex and another two. Benoit barges Regal from the ropes and attempts another pin. Regal reverses a whip with a short arm forearm. Regal attempts a, to- attempts a tombstone pile driver, which Benoit reverses and slams Regal down to the mat. Benoit climbs to the top and soars with a beautiful flying headbutt. Eaton breaks the pin and Malenko crossbodies him to the outside. Benoit climbs to the top again and Regal halts it and delivers a nice double arm bar suplex from the top. Regal gets frustrated and gets four two counts. Benoit clotheslines him for another two and another and another. Eaton breaks a double armbar submission before Benoit applies it again. Malenko dropkicks Regal and Benoit pulls out the double armbar reverse suplex pin for the three. And Eric Bischoff finishes the match by saying it's a victory for Benoit and Malenko whether you like it or not. Oh, there we go. Well done, Tom, for easily the most in-depth match review I think we've ever had on this show. Uh, which which <laughs> probably tests me more to me than anything else. Uh, Wayne, what do you think of this match? Yeah, well, first of all, well done, Tom. I thought that was a brilliant review. Um, <laughs> the uh, I, I, I really enjoyed it. 
Um, I, you know, I thought they really meshed well together. Uh, the, uh, the, the the two teams, um, like in the the, the partnership of uh, Benoit and Malenko as well, I think that's uh, you know really good um, uh, a really good team uh, themselves. A um, couple of you know cock ups were they've, I think uh, Benoit was trying to trying to do something with Bobby Eaton in the corner and uh, ended up just power, um, power bombing him, and then uh, then there was obviously the one with Malenko and. Uh, uh, Regal as well, but all in all, I thought, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the uh, uh, the matchup as a whole. Uh, real, the double team finisher at the end was uh, was, was brilliant in my eyes as well. And and to quote Tom, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with the fans. The two counts that was uh, um, in concession, you know, I, I obviously appreciated their efforts as well. So uh, yeah, big thumbs up from me on this one, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. I've just got my breath back from giving giving us the results. But um, no, I thought it was fantastic. I thought that um, uh, you know, having seen uh, quite a bit of ECW action from uh, Malenko and Benoit to a degree, but not as much, I knew what they were capable of. And obviously, Regal's got the technical background, and Eaton not quite to the same level, but you know that he can when he needs to up his game. And he certainly needed to against Malenko and Benoit. Um, Eaton's good enough in in a match against these, with these three, where he can more than hold his own. Yeah, absolutely. I really liked that pop-up backbreaker he did. That's not something that you see too often. So you you know the guy. I mean, I don't know whether he uh, that might be something that he's just been offered. Hey, fancy trying this out because Malenko can sell it or whatever. But uh, no, I thought it was thought it was really good. Uh, There was a couple of botches, but I get I get the impression with with Benoit is that he's so wild and he's so sort of rabid in the, in the way that he does things. It's like, it, he doesn't care. He, he, I think he'd almost mess it up twice and get it right a third time than, than uh, not try it at all. So I think that, it, it, in a way, it almost it almost says the type of fighter that he is and the type of type of worker he is, because it's just that, you know, go for broke, hell for leather type thing. And he's just, I think he's fantastic, Ben Moore. I, I, this is the first time I've really seen him in action in WCW, and uh, I was very impressed. Yeah, I don't know that there's a wrestler in North America right, well, at all that I enjoy watching more than Benoit right now. Um, I know there's a lot of stocks in guys like Shawn Michaels, but Benoit is, you know, so clean in what he does. He's so believable in his, uh, in his attacks. I mean, we've still got the same thing, you know, Benoit does the, the, the sort of kind of the jumping tombstone almost, then does a diving headbutt and can't get a pin. So that was okay. Um, but no, this was, this was really good. I mean, uh, just to be clear, this is, main event we're not going to count this as part of our overall review and uh, and score for the pay-per-view itself um but this is kind of part of the thing that eric bishop wants to create and it was more for nitro than it would have been for the main event but if we'd rob back the clock three months this would have been god knows who would have been in this kind of this kind of spot but as they've got guys like you know guerrero malenko benoit in for these kind of things they can just use them in these matches um and the the quite scary thing really is that if if we've got guys like Benoit and Malenko who can wrestle like this in front of a crowd that doesn't really know them, if they can get those guys over, how good could they be? I think that's that's going to be the exciting thing to watch. Um, but we will move on into Halloween Havoc 1995. Tom, if you can kick us off with the results. Absolutely. Okay, so in the first match, Johnny B. Bad defeated Diamond Dallas Page, who was with the Diamond Doll and Max Muscle for the WCW World Television Championship. Randy Savage defeated the Zodiac. Kasawa with Colonel Robert Parker defeated Road Warrior Hawk. Sabu with the Sheik defeated Mr. JL. Lex Luger defeated Meng by disqualification. 
Sting and Ric Flair defeated Brian Pillman and Arn Anderson by disqualification. Hulk Hogan defeated the Giant in a sumo monster truck match. Randy Savage defeated Lex Luger. And the Giant, with the Taskmaster, defeated Hulk Hogan by disqualification. Why? Um, it wasn't a good pay-per-view, in my eyes. Um, but some of the pay-per-views I've sat through over the last few months, if not longer, um, they have been bad pay-per-views and been boring at the same time. But I thought there was just loads going on in this one. Yeah, it, you know, albeit it was a bit confusing, but... Um, I come away from it thinking it, it wasn't good, but um, the, it was just it was just madness. Tom, madness is a word that I would use uh, as well. I have never watched a pay per view and been so baffled by what I'm seeing as I was with this. Uh, and in a way, I, I agree. It, it wasn't boring, but it, it was completely ridiculous for a large portion of the show um, and there wasn't enough wrestling for me uh, and for a promotion that claim that they're all about the wrestling, whereas other promotions aren't, um, they couldn't have given a, a more hypocritical uh, de- demonstration of that. Um, I'm not, I, I haven't seen every WCW pay-per-view this year, but from the ones that I have, this was the worst. Um, but there was a good match in there. There was a decent match in there. And there was a load of ridiculousness that was actually quite fun to watch in a, in a bad, guilty pleasure way. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I, I've ever watched a show while doing this podcast and, uh, and been more puzzled. And, and that puzzlement was, was, was present throughout the show, not even just with the bit we'll, we'll get to with, you know, the giant and Hogan later on, but just, I mean, some people have said, you know, is this the worst pay-per-view of the year? I don't even think this was the worst pay-per-view of the month. Uh, you know, you've you, you got our, our In Your House show to review later on um, when, when we review that in part two. Um, but in terms of, I, I've never watched a wrestling show that was so bizarrely paced. I mean, this was a show where, and, uh, you know, feel free to, to, to cut me off if you disagree here, guys, but I've never seen a show that seemed to kill time so much at various points. There were so many times I just felt like they were just talking for the sake of talking. And yet this match featured three incredibly short matches one after another. It, uh, so odd. And then we get to, we get to the stuff at the end. I mean, boy. Um, but but that all being said, I really enjoyed the opening match that we'll come to in a minute. And I, I thought the, the the tag match with with Arn and Pillman and Flair and Sting was an absolute riot. Um, you know, it, it, even even with as I said in the news, even with the most predictable ending imaginable. Um, but yeah, I don't know what I'm going to score this show because I, I I've been puzzled all week and. After watching the show, I was talking to my housemate who doesn't watch wrestling, just talking to him about it. Um, and it only hit me then explaining what happened in the main event, just how bizarre it was, like talking them through, you know, two guys in monster trucks on top of a building. They have a monster truck match on a wrestling show. Yes, that happened. And then one of them gets pushed off of the building and then walks out. And I'm like, I, whatever. Anyway, well, We'll get to that when we get to it. Um, 
We open the show with a pyro display. Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heena are on the call. We're in Detroit, Michigan. We see a preview of the monster trucks playing a bit of cat and mouse with some cockpit shots of Hogan the Giant. Uh, this, that with the actual monster truck bit was set the night before, for what that's worth. Uh, Schiavone also says that Brian Pillman attacked Ric Flair before the show. We get a preview video with John Rebound versus Diamond Dallas Page for the television title, and that's up first. We cut to Bobby Heenan, who sat in the crowd having a banquet with some Japanese delegates. The big match on main event is Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko versus, yeah, which we, we covered. Uh, me and Gene Oaken is at pains to point out the five-story drop off of Kobo Hall before the show. Anyway, we start with John B. Bad versus Darm Dallas Page with the Darm Doll and Max Muscle for the WCW television title. Interestingly, to the right of the stage is a mock graveyard. They have words like beloved and farewell on them. Um, did either of you two spot the uh, interestingly named graveyard or gravestone sorry tom crockett oh sorry yeah wayne no no i didn't one of the as as wayne points out one of the uh headstones said the word crockett on it which i thought was very interesting uh johnny bad comes out with his back turned to the camera that holds for a bit too long and it turns out bad is actually coming out through the crowd the guy on the stage was was uh was dressed as johnny bad and wouldn't be the, the the strangest to kind of come out during the show uh, Bad ambushes DDP for a hot start to the match Page does the flare flip over the turnbuckle and sees the collide with the cameraman still on the apron about 30 seconds, 30 seconds later he seems to hit another cameraman as Bad sends him over the guardrail into the fans Bad puts a bucket over DDP's head slaps him then rounds his head into the ring post the action slows down in the ring with Bad working Page's arm Page starts complaining that Bad is grabbing hold of his hair Page then grabs hold of Nick Patrick's shirt Bad goes for a ten punch Page picks him up and drops him head first onto the turnbuckle Page takes control hits a belly to back suplex Page calls for a ten card the doll presents it reluctantly DDP has a cut on his right cheek Max Muscle, to his credit, manages to whip up the crowd behind Jolly Bad while attempting to start a DDP chant. DDP goes back to another chin lock. Bad reverses a hip toss into a, a backslide. DDP kicks out and then nails Bad with the clothesline. Max Muscle distracts the ref. Page chokes out Bad with some wrist tape. Bad reverses the slew of rest holes with a belly-to-back suplex. Bad rallies with a head scissors, then a double axe handle from the top. He motions towards the doll, who shows her appreciation with a ten card. Bad hits a sit-out powerbomb that he nearly loses control of. Bad fires Page off of the ropes. Page hits a diamond dream, a DDT. Page goes for the diamond cutter, but Bad holds on to the ropes. Page puts Bad on top of the rope, but Bad uses a head scissors of sorts to dump him to the outside. He then hits a flip die to the outside onto Page and Max. Bad then hits a crossbody onto Page back in the ring. Max Russell climbs onto the apron, grabs Bad by the hair. Page runs at Bad, who ducks. Page stops short of Max. Bad drops kicks Page into Max, then gets a roll-up that nearly ends the match, which the crowd pop for. Max gets back on the apron, attempts to clothesline Bad, who ducks again. Max nails Page. Bad knocks Max to the outside, then pins Page and is your new television champion. They cut to the doll at ringside, who looks quite happy with the developments. Wayne. Yeah, it was it was a good match. I mean, I think it could have been a great match if it was about five minutes shorter, in all honesty. Um, I really enjoyed the start of it. Um, I think 
I'm, you know, I've, I've been a bit critical of Johnny B. Bad in the past, um, you know, not being his biggest fan, but I like this side of him, you know, he, he seems like a more serious, uh, Johnny B. Bad, which, uh, which I'm for, obviously, um, outsmarting, um, the, the, the guys at the start and, you know, giving them a bit of payback for them trying to outsmart him with the, um, with, with the bursting of the tyres. Um, like I said, you know, it was a, it was a fast start, but then all of a sudden it just slowed right down and, um, it, you know, it just started to uh, weigh my interest a little bit. Um, you know, can't, DDP was doing, uh, um, you know, a, a good effort in there as well. You know, I liked how he come up with that, that move, the, the diamond dream. I've never really seen that. Um, anywhere else before um, and he also created a new pin um, don't know if any of you remember what it was but I could probably only describe it as a, as a teabag pin um, <laughs> that, that, that's what I want but, uh, <laughs> um, and, and, and at the end it was you know a really good finish with, um, with, with all the false finishes you know if it was the start and the finish and you know a lot shorter in the middle then you know I probably would have given this uh, a better score than, than what I did but the, the one thing I'm, I'm confused about over anything is you know the, the short reign of, of, of the title for DDP they've just put it on him against the, the renegade um, you know he's, he, he, I know he's obviously the age he is but he's still up and coming um, I think this would have been um, you know a good reign for him if he had it for a little bit longer um, you know he's got a really good interesting storyline going on with, with the diamond doll at the moment uh, with, at the minute with you know um, a bit of unrest he doesn't like what he does and, and obviously him doing all the heel tactics so I'm, I'm just a little bit um, confused by that but yeah just speaking about the match um, as I've said, if they shortened it up a bit, uh, you know, it would have been a great match for me. Interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll come to that point in a minute. Tom, what do you think of the match? Yeah, I thought this was a really good opener. Uh, I, I would definitely agree with Wayne's point on uh, it being five minutes too long. I think if it was five minutes less, um, it would actually be considered pretty much spot on for what you would want uh, to open up a pay-per-view like this. It, was a, it had a good fun start um, outside the ring, obviously with the fake Johnny B. Bad and, and, and as you said, Bob, with the bucket. And uh, it was a good um, wild opening. And then it went to a more technical middle, um, but it probably could have done with having a few minutes cut off the end. And I thought that I was actually surprised that just how over Johnny B. Bad was with the crowd. Um, obviously, he's a pretty clean baby face. Um, but I didn't quite realise that he was that popular. Um, so it, that, that was good to see. And I, I think, yeah, I, I, think I take Wayne's point about the, the belt only being on DDP for a short time. But I guess for a, for a match opener, for a pay-per-view, to have your baby face win the title uh, gets everyone, gets all the fans in a good in good spirits. And uh, it's a nice story with the Diamond Doll, and everyone wants the Diamond Doll to be with Johnny Bad, and they sort of tease that enough to, to let you know that it's going to happen, but they didn't quite deliver it. Um so, no, I, th- I thought it was really good. It was, the match had a nice flow and both put in a good effort. DDP has improved considerably um, from, from last year. And you can tell he's really put the work in to, to, to get where he's at. Um, and one thing that did confuse me, there, there were a couple of finishes on this show that, that confused me. And I think this one was a little bit less confusing, but it was just something that I, I disagreed with. It was um, the clothesline from Max should have resulted in a DQ against Johnny B. Bad, I think. Um, rather than the way, the way, you know, the, the way that it went down in the end. But they said that the referee let it go. So, um, I guess it's up to the referee not, not to follow the rules if he wants to. But that sort of thing bothers me. But uh, the, the, the crowd were happy with the result and we got a new champ and it was a good start to the show. So yeah, thumbs up. Yeah, I, I, I'd let the finish go certainly. I, you know, I think it was quite clear that Max was trying to 
you know, nail bad rather than DDP. Um, and the fact that it's backfired is, is, is their collective problem. I don't think there's anything about that. I thought this was really good. I don't even think it was necessarily too long. I mean, yeah, I mean, 17 minutes is, is long for an opener. And certainly when you consider, well, I think the, the following three matches combined to about eight or nine, it is a bit jarring. But I thought they did a really good job with a really hot opening with bad coming out from, in the crowd, the really hot bit with the outside and the guardrail and the bucket and all of that stuff. And then they got in the ring and they calmed the crowd down again, which I think you've got to do to a point, you know, with an opening match. Um, and then I thought it built really nicely. The, the, you know, the ending, I don't think you can say a match was too long and the crowd popped that much for a near fall about 30 seconds before the end. I don't get the feeling they were, they were, really that desperate of the match be any shorter um and i thought it built quite nicely i think you could have taken the middle out i'm not sure the ending would have been as effective i don't think it i don't think it i don't think it quite works like that um as for ddp's title raid i i wouldn't be that concerned i don't think it's the case of they've taken the title off ddp because they've given up on him i just think it was the case of as tom kind of alluded to they wanted a, a hot open to the show and a title change will do that um and yeah you know i i, I would expect ddp will probably have the title back by the end of the year if not january um and, and i i thought this was really good um what, bob what, can i i just wanted to say i i think actually ddp showed here that he's he's probably getting to the point where he's beyond being in a match opener and i actually think he's he's got what he's actually got a lot of talent and he's got a great look and he, he's a big guy um i think he, he he should be going on to bigger and better things and i think he showed that here i'd argue that for both of them um, yeah, I, I would as well. But, but but Johnny B. Bad is the kind of guy that if you're going to have a pay per view opening, he he's quick, he's charismatic, he, he's a uh, you know he's a nice guy, he's he's, he's over with the crowd. Uh, he's never going to replace Hulk Hogan, so that's his problem. Or, the, or that's the company's problem, I should say. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I could I could rally against that and say, well, you know, just because you're not going to replace Hulk Hogan doesn't mean you can't push him. But I get the feeling that might be what what WCW are thinking as well. Uh, Wayne, chip in on, on anything Neil Thomas said. Yeah, yeah. Well, the only thing I was going to say is is just to um, again talk about the length of the match. I mean, we, we saw Johnny be bad in a, in a lengthy match against uh, Brian Pillman last month, and that was a cracker. You know, it was a, it was a great match, but um, he's not going up against Brian Pillman in this one and you're quite right you know the the, the fans at the end were were, uh, um, uh, were were over but I think that was more about the ending itself because I was the same you know I thought it was a really good ending but if you shorten the middle of it um you're not taking away all the story you can still have some of the technical wrestling in there but I just thought it went on for just you know too long and a 17 minute match you know, you probably could have brought down to 12, 13 minutes in my eyes. Uh, Wayne, what do you think of the dynamic with, uh, well, Max Muscle to a point and, uh, and more pertinently the Diamond Doll? Well, Max Muscle, you know, DDP's smart enough. To, this guy's thick as pig shit. You, you get rid of him, you, you can probably see that during the match when he's... Well, no, 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 but hang on, well, I don't you mean, but I mean... You know, you're, you're thinking logically from a booking point of view rather than from a, a character standpoint, I think. No, 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 I'm actually saying from a character standpoint, I'm, I'm saying... But, but isn't the point that Diane Dallas Page is, when it comes to it, a pussy and he needs a, a he needs a mu- he needs muscle, literally, metaphorically, to fight his battles for him? Isn't that why he's there? I know what you mean, um, but this, this is, we're getting into criticising wrestling storytelling here, which I, I don't think you want to do, but it's quite effective. Yeah. <laughs> right, well, if 
if we, if, 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 you know, if we want to just end it there, then then um, I, I think the you know the dynamic with with the Diamond Doll is uh, uh, is really good. I think it's playing out a really good storyline. Um, even more so with uh, the interaction she had with Johnny Bibad, you know that's obviously going to lead somewhere. So you know I'm uh, I'm I'm all for uh, um, the Diamond Doll, but uh, yeah, the Max Muscle, I just yeah, I, I just don't understand why. I I, I, I get and I, and, I, and I agree with you on the point of uh, having him as as Muscle, but. There's other guys out there that you could. Uh, I, I just I don't agree with with that part of the storyline. Tom, uh, I thought he did his job quite well. Um, I thought that for what he was there to do, which was to uh, be the muscle for DDP and to try, uh, even in a sort of heelish attempt, to get to rally the crowd behind DDP. I thought that was brilliant. Like I it was quite clever, yeah. DDP, DDP yeah. on the ring, and then it took about you know a few seconds, and the crowd started running behind Johnny Van. I thought it was really good. And you can see him turning around to the crowd and saying, "Come on, join in!" And everyone was sort of like <laughs> frowning at him. But you know, that's the guy. The guy. I I, I know what you mean, Wayne. The guy. The guy is clearly not uh, the, sh- the sharpest knife in the drawer. But, but, but isn't he... that partly the point as well? That if if Max, if someone of Max Muscle's size was smart enough and good enough, he wouldn't be a, a third man. Yeah, for, for someone yeah. of his look and his undoubted strength, he would be wrestling Hulk Hogan. Isn't part of the point that part of the reason is that he isn't that clever? Well, there's, there's an argument to be made that someone like the Renegade is probably further behind him on the IQ uh, rankings, but he, he's pushing up the card. But I know what you mean. I know yeah. what you mean. He should, oh, the Renegade oh. shouldn't be where he is. That's the point. Oh, on the doll, Tom? Uh, well, I don't mind looking at her. I'll say that much. Um, and I don't think that... Uh, you could do. I don't think you could use a character like her much more efficiently in the, in, in an angle like this. Um, although one thing I would say about her is that she, characters like that are quite one-dimensional because they'll switch between uh, heel and baby faces quite quickly with no real. I mean, unless there was a backstory I missed, there was no real indication to say why she was uh, aligning with uh, Johnny B. Bad. Well, I mean, she, she didn't align with him. I, I, the, the, well, she the, is going that way, isn't she? Oh, maybe. I mean, the, the longer-term story with all of it is that she is quite a, a, a tepid lady. Oh, tepid maybe not the best word. Nice, nice at heart, I think, will be the point. It's just that she happens to be the boyfriend, or the girlfriend, sorry, of Diane Dallas Page. She's a bit of an ass. Right. And right, so, okay, okay. I, I think, you know, and, you know, I'll, I'll forgive you given that I've watched tons of WCW television this year, but I, in terms of, I, I, it made, to me, it made perfect sense in the, like, that, you know, DDP's a bit of an ass, but, you know, Know, they're together and that 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 storyline that in in real life that makes sense and you know she isn't always approving of what he does and yeah all right i don't think she's going to pair with john and be bad i don't think they're going to split that trio up um but anyway we will move on next up it's zodiac against randy savage zodiac who's filling in for kamala who decided he'd rather quit than job to Savage uh, early in the match a member of the crowd jumps into the ring the referee deals with that and Savage to his credit takes the action to the outside so the cameras aren't focused on it the crowd cheers the guys ejected and Bobby Heenan says somewhat preposterously that the cheers are for Savage back in the ring Zodiac body slams Savage goes for a second rope splash misses Savage hits a top rope elbow drop and wins the match uh, Tom what do you think I think that the pay-per-view took a turn for the worse at this stage. I think that Randy Savage is clearly injured. I mean, literally to the point where you think he probably shouldn't be wrestling considering he's got his entire arm bandaged up. Uh, he looks tired. He looks bored. 
He looks uninterested, and I think uh, I'm not surprised looking at who his opponent was, who I think we might recognise from something else, but I won't say it in case anybody doesn't recognise it, because you might not have two eyeballs in your head. Um, I thought that it was a pointless match. I thought that the crowd clearly liked seeing Randy Savage, so there was that. And the best thing about it was the run-in from that fan and the way that the referee manhandled uh, that, that chap, who I first thought was a lady, um, was pretty pretty impressive, actually. So I thought maybe we, we've got a, uh, a talent that hasn't been utilised there uh, in the referee. But other than that, it was a, a pointless squash match, and uh, I was happy to move on when it finished. Why? Um, yeah, I think the the jumper was the, the best part of the match, in all honesty. I'd, I'd say it saved it. Well, yeah, true, true, um, and uh, and unlike Tom, I'm, I am actually going to break here, Fab, and uh, mention um, Zodiac and uh, character because um, you take the face paint off his ring attire, um, it's Brutus the Barber Beefcake. He's just oh, that's who it was. Oh, do you know? I was spending the whole thing thinking, who is that? Not really. I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> Um, but it was an offing match. It was a it was a squash match. It shouldn't have even been on the pay per view. And and you know we'll we'll go through the review later on with the with the Luger and the Meng match. You know I, th- I think both of these matches should have been on um, Nitro to build up to the pay per view and um, not have them on there and then have you know them face each other later on. So, you know, you could get Benoit on, Malenko, Edgarero, like the tag match that were re- reviewed earlier. And I think it was just a waste of time and just wasn't invested in it at all. Oh, to, I, I briefly thought you meant this match and the opener on Nitro. What I believe you actually meant was uh, this match and the Luger Meng match later on. Um, this match was so boring, I'm not even going to pass comment. I, I think to, to do so would, would would be to take too much time on it. So we're going to move on. Uh, Gene Oakland is backstage. He's still shitting his hotline. He brings in Jeremy Bad, who is as passionate as usual. They do seem to be filling time a lot already on the show. Uh, Wayne, did you, do you agree with my sentiment that, that uh, even at this stage it felt like they were just filling time? Um, I, I didn't really take note of that in all honesty. Sorry. No, it's fair. I mean, part of it was just we had about nine minutes between the show opening and the first match, which is long by WCW standards. Yeah. And then it was just, yeah, all, all the stuff, you know, some of it's towards the back end of the show. and, and some uh, Well, of that. I was going to say the, 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 the back end. Uh, oh, well, that, 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 that at least made sense. Back. But some of this yeah. bit in the middle, it's just like, it's, uh, Tom, what do you think? A- any thoughts on that? I didn't think that it was uncharacteristic for WCW, so maybe that's the problem. I, I didn't think that it was so uh, padded out that there was something different from other uh, WCW pay-per-views or shows that I've watched. Um, but I agree with you. Uh, I did think, why, why is there so much of this and why aren't we back in the ring already? And, and bearing in mind, this is only, what, probably... Uh, 15, 20 minutes into the pay-per-view? Uh, more like half an hour, 45. Oh, is it half an hour? The only match was nearly 20 minutes, so... Um... Yeah, all right, but yeah, well, you, you did, still, my point stands. Yeah, right. There's another segment later on that we'll come to that does seem to just unnecessarily waste some time. Anyway, uh, it's Road Warrior Hawk versus Kurosawa with Colonel Robert Parker. Hawk unloads on Kurosawa at the bell, flooring him with a shoulder attack on the neck breaker. Hawk charges him in the corner but rams his shoulder into the turnbuckle. Hawk hits a powerbomb, then goes to bounce off the ropes but Parker grabs his leg. Kurosawa hits a body slam, then goes for a top rope elbow but Hawk moves. Hawk sends him to the outside. Hawk follows them outside, hits a shoulder tackle on Parker. Back in the ring, Kurosawa hits a slam, then a Samoan drop, pins Hawk with his foot on the ropes, and Parker holding on to his foot, and that's enough for the win. Tom? 
I was going to say bad to worse, uh, but I'd probably say worse to worse. Um, this was equally also, as bad. Yeah, also pointless. Uh, so it was a dirty win and it was a shit match. So I don't want to say anything more about it. Why? Uh, well, same, same really. I think it was, it was a nothing match. I wasn't really bought into it. Um, another short match again. You know, you've probably got rid of this one and the previous one and, and just ditto exactly what I said earlier on. Um, you know, I, I do like Kurosawa as, uh, um, as, a, as a performer, you know, I, I, you know, I see potential in this guy, but Hawk is a singles wrestler. I'm just not behind him at all. Um, but yeah, the match, it was, it was an offing match. Tom, do, do you get the whole thing behind Row Warrior Hawk? I understand he's got name value. I understand he's got a bit of drawing power. Um, but he's about as irrelevant as one could be in his position, isn't he? Well, I think he's, you know, living off the, uh, the memory that people have of the Legion of Doom. Um, and that can only last so long because the thing is you, you put him in a match like this and no one's going to, no one in the crowd's going to have too much of a problem with it because it was so quick and they think, Hey, it's that guy from Legion of Doom and he's smacking a guy around and being quite stiff, which he was. Um, and it was so quick that I don't, I just don't think anybody could have too much of a problem with it. But long term wise, I agree with you. There's only so much, um, flogging that you can do of that before you're either going to have to think of a character change or finding Animal from wherever he might be, um, and putting it back together. So long term, it's not going to run. But for this, I don't think that was the problem. I think it was just, it was so random. Uh, you could just let it pass you by and, and not worry too much about it. Yeah, um, yeah, apparently Kurosawa is quite a good wrestler. I don't think we've really, I don't think we've had an opportunity to see it or they're giving him really the opportunity to show it. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's difficult as someone who didn't watch the, the Legion of Dune, Road Warriors, era run to care about Road Warrior Hawk because I just see him as what he is now rather than what he was you know X number of years ago and what I see him as now is someone who's pretty irrelevant um I don't think he's good enough in the ring I don't think he's you know I, I, I come back to someone like Jim Duggan who as, as much as we could argue probably most of the same points of the Duggan was a singles act at least Duggan comes in and gets a really good reaction in most places Hawk did get a quite a good reaction on one of the nitros in one of the cities they were in but on the whole I don't think the the positives of Hawk outweigh the negatives um but anyway yeah but no I, I just just as well I, I think that this is part of WCW's wider problem is that they're they're living off the memory of so many names from really from another promotion or from other promotions um, right right through from the middle of their card to the main event. And, and you talk about like new characters they're creating and trying to be original. We haven't even got onto the Yeti yet, but you know, they're, they're, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Trust me, we'll get there. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. It's the highlight of the show for me, but I, I, I just think they need to be having a serious creative haul. Um, and Hawk is a prime example, as you say, of someone that just needs to, it, it, it's not going anywhere. Um, and the same with Savage and the same with Hogan. However, there's obviously something going on with Hogan, which is actually quite refreshing to see, but it is a problem. Speaking of Savage, he's backstage with me, Gene Oakland. He will face Lex Luger tonight if Luger can defeat Meng. Savage even mentions the fan intruder. Next up, it's Sabu with the original Sheik versus Mr. JL. Sabu charges the ring. JL nails him with an enziguri, then a baseball slide to the outside. Sabu rounds him into the guardrail, then hits a springboard moonsault so big he caught his uncle as well as Mr. Sabu on the airway. Sabu, uh, Mr. Sabu, Mr. JL even. Sabu vaults off the ring steps, but JL ducks. JL gets on the top rope and nails Sabu on the outside. Sabu gets on the top rope, goes for a moonsault, but Mr. JL moves. JL goes for a moonsault and hits it, then hits a sit-out powerbomb for a two. 
Sabu hits a flip leg drop for a two. JL goes for a German suplex into bridge, but doesn't quite get the bridge bit right. On the top rope, Sabu hits a victory roll for a two. He then returns to the top, but JL hits a springboard drop kick, sending Sabu to the outside. Sabu hits a split leg moonsault and gets the victory. After the match, the shake blows the ball of fire into Mr. JL's eyes. Wayne? Um, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but um, get rid of the last two matches. Cut down the talking time to waste time. And give it to these guys because, you know, yeah, it was an absolute spot fest during it, but they was all trying to get the stuff in. Um, with the, with the little time they had, I just didn't understand it at all. Um, I thought, you know, I thought it was a really good match, but just far too short. Um, the other thing as well is, um, I would probably say this is what I would want the opener to, to be fast paced, get me really bought, bought into this pay per view. If you had this as the opener and a, a a little bit shorter um, uh, Johnny Bibad DDP match um, I'd, I'd be really really happy with this pay-per-view so far no, uh, I'm inclined to agree what they what they did here I don't necessarily agree with this I would agree that this match wasn't long enough but I, I think there is a point with an opener where as much as this might be quite good and you know we, we kind of talked about it when we reviewed the, the, the Benoit and uh, Malenko match against the Blue Bloods there in the show is that Really good wrestling without context and without background and without all of that doesn't really make sense. And part of the reason Sabu's on this show is just so they can shoehorn the original Sheik in front of a crowd that he's popular in front of. So there's always that. But equally, like, part of my problem with this match, and I had quite a few of them, was that there's just there's no fan investment in either of these two guys. I don't know that you could have sent them out in the opener and said, go on, have ten minutes. They might have got into it by the very end, but it's just Sabu who... As much as he's great in ECW where his character has context, here it's just a guy doing a load of flying stuff. That's it. There's, there's no rhyme or reason to it. And Mr. JL, we don't know anything about. Um, I only know him as Jerry Lynn because I do. Um, and it's just weird. I, I thought this match, I didn't think it was that good. I mean, I think you're right to a point, but they packed so much in. Tom, did any of it stick for you? Um, the, the fireball at the end stuck from what the cameras were actually able to catch. Um, but other than that, I, I think that Sabu sticks out like a sore thumb, um, in this, in this promotion. I, I don't think he fits. Um, and I, I don't, that's not a knock on him because I think he's, he's actually a hell of a talent. Um, and he's put on a, sh- a show in ECW like you've never seen many a time. Um, but I thought, as you said, Bob, they tried to cram what, what they probably could have paced out into a, a good, uh, seven or eight minute match into about three or four. It was really quick again. And, um, it was, it was a showcase for the Sheik. Um, and I, I wonder whether Sabu is going to fit in this EC, um, WCW card. Um, and, it, and if he is indeed going to, they need to A, give his character some backstory, like you say, and B, give him an angle that he can actually run with. I mean, uh, I don't even, I don't even know if he's spoken on the microphone from his time in, in WCW. But well, 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 nor should he. I mean, he didn't even speak at ECW, I don't think. No, but, but with, if, you, if you're not going to have him on the microphone, you've got to at least give people some reason to be invested in him, to either like him, dislike him, or at least say, we want to know more about this guy, rather than just saying, yeah, he was good fun while we watched him, but now he's gone, what's next, sort of thing. I've just um, come up with an idea that I don't hate, which would be to put him in the Dungeon of Doom. I don't think it makes sense. <laughs> I, I don't think it makes sense to have a guy who can do this kind of, you know, fan pleasing offence in, in a heel stable but dare I say it Tom does that fit 
Uh, I don't want to say that anyone with any talent belongs in the Dungeon of Doom, to be honest with you. But I can see what you're saying. He's that sort of understated, mysterious kind of guy that if you gave him a bit of twerk and a bit of a... Uh, I suppose a bit of face paint, judging by what they've been doing with the Taskmaster. Um, and Hulk Hogan to a strange extent, but we'll talk about that later. Um, I, I think you could do something with that. Uh, however, at the moment, they've done nothing. He is involved in nothing. Uh, the match felt like it could have been the starter of a house show rather than in the middle of a pay-per-view. Uh, Wayne, any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, I mean, it, we we did the review with Dell when we was talking about Sabu coming in, and I made a point at the time saying... I could see him being in the Dungeon of Doom. And, you know, just to agree with what, what you said there, um, I, I, I could see him in it. You get rid of, like, all of all Gun's ex-mates and you, you build up a stable with Sabu because he's got that kind of um, uh, mystical feel about him. Um, you, you know, you have someone like uh, Meng in there, you know, Kurosawa that we saw before, have these monsters in there, the giant, and I think you've got a really good stable there, but yeah, that's the, like you said, I, I, I do understand where you're coming from on, you know, there's, you know, there's no actual character in, um, character investment on, on, on either of these guys. I do wonder whether they just brought him in just for this chic setup because we're in Detroit. I, I do wonder that. Like, it, it did feel like that. This, this, this match did feel shoehorned in in a way where it was like, yep, yeah, he's here because we want to get his uncle on the show. Yeah, and they, and they gave Sheik the big moment with the fireball, didn't they? So it's yeah. not like Sabu did, did something to warrant his existence, really. But it, it's weird, like, of all the guys in the Dungeon of Doom, like Luger, uh, like, you know, Zodiac, like the shark, the one guy who feels like he actually belongs in a faction like that, I don't think I'd want to see him there. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, but equally, the one guy who feels like he belongs doesn't feel like he belongs in the sense that he is a crowd pleasing. I would say, but he's not a traditional babyface. But you know, you, you don't get many traditional babyface out of ECW. But his wrestling style is of such that it's so athletic that it's going to get over with the crowd. And yet, here I am sat here thinking, do I want him there? But if he's going to stick around, they've got to do something with him because it, it's not like. Other guys can get over to a point just by being solid wrestler babyface. This character isn't going to get over a traditional wrestler babyface Saturday night two-minute promo. It's not going to work. So if, you, if you're going to have him there, you've got to give him some special treatment. If they do, it'll probably be worth it. But but uh, but who knows? Anyway, we get a long rambling promo from King Curtis and the Taskmaster. Sullivan says Hogan has no friends. Shivoni mentions the Yeti from Nitro is here tonight. We're backstage at Oakland, Jimmy Hart and Hulk Hogan. This was probably the segment where I went, yeah, they're really wasting some time on this show. Uh, Hogan's decked out in black with lightning bolts down his legs. Hogan is presenting who he calls Maniac Mike with the Harley Davidson prize that you may recall they gave away. Uh, sort of, they announced it went on the first Nitro. Uh, Maniac Mike looks a little a little like Todd Pettengill. I, that, that was what I wrote down in my, my boredom during that segment. Uh, I thought it was Des Clark from Neighbours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you that. Uh, we, we see a promo from the pay-per-view in November. Three rings, 60 men vying for the number one contendership. The show is called World War Three. Heenan starts talking about swimming pools. Yeah, uh, Whatever. Uh, anyway, we move on. It's Meng with the Taskmaster versus Lex. I think Heenan was mentioning the river, and that's how we got on swimming pools. Um, 
Luger runs at Meng as the bell rings, driving his head off the turnbuckle multiple times. Luger hits an impressive catapult, sending Meng into the turnbuckle. Meng runs at Luger in the corner, but runs into a big boot. Luger sends Meng to the outside and attempts to fire up the crowd. Luger runs into the corner, but Meng moves. Luger ducks a right arm, goes for a belly-to-back, uh, belly but Meng flips out midway and turns it into a crossbody before dropping Luger's shoulders onto Meng's knee. Meng hits a stalling pile drive for a two. Luger rallies out of a rest hold and hits a crossbody for a two, but Meng still has the advantage and hits a belly-to-back suplex. Meng is in complete control with the match going at a very slow pace. Meng misses a drop kick. Luger sends him over the top rope and blocks a suplex or suplexing Meng into the ring. Luger sends Meng down with a right hand, then a back body drop. Luger hits a power slam while he whips up the crowd. Meng gets his golden spike. Sullivan comes in and kicks Luger, forcing a DQ, and Luger wins the match. The story... Excuse me. The story they were telling, I think, and, and this kind of plays into what happened on Saturday night, but, um, the, the week before, was that Sullivan wanted Luger to meet Savage later on, so he caused the victory, and, and what you heard on the TV as well, he would, would back that up. Uh, Heenan sums it all up by saying, quote, I'm not sure who he kicked. You know what? I don't even care. Tom. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt the same. Uh, that, that finish was absolutely ridiculous. It made me think, if you, if you had a party in your house, and you came into the living room and there were people asleep on the floor and you thought, right, I want to wake them up, but I don't really want to upset anybody. So I'll just give them a quick tap with my foot just to wake them up and see, you know, get rid of them. That's what he did um, in this match. It, 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 it was absolutely ridiculous. And I, I Dare I say it, Tom, didn't it make sense? No. Well, well, the thing is... With, with well, kids... bear in mind that they're going to end the show aligned, spoiler alert, Luger and the Tatmas and all of that. All Sullivan's trying to do here is force uh, a DQ so Luger can win the match. He doesn't need to pummel him. I know what you mean, but, but I'll give him a pass on what came. He only had to, like, tap him on the shoulder. That's all he had to do, right? Yeah, I guess. I just thought it looked it looked ridiculous. If, if You know, for, for a passerby turning this on and, and watching it, you know, they, what on earth would they think? I, I buy, you know, maybe I'm looking into it too much. I thought, you know, overall, I thought the match was uh, quite unfair for Meng. I thought he was pummeled for a few minutes at the start uh, and made to look pretty weak, really. Um, and Luger is just stiff as a board. And uh, Meng, Meng put a nice pile driver in there. The crowd did not care about this match at all. The crowd have been dead for probably the last 20, 25 minutes. Uh, at this point, and the, the flow of the match was awful. And I actually noticed that, that Luger was getting quite a few boos in this match. And I, I don't know if that's because, and again, I haven't watched as much TV as you, Bob, from, from WCW, but has the, has his heel turn been, been hinted at at all at this point? Or is it just, are, are we completely blank at this point? No, they certainly hinted at it in the sense that all, all the stuff kind of leaving into full brawl last month was whether they could trust Luger. Um, and then we had the bit on, on TV this month. You've heard the promo earlier in the show, uh, where Sting is trying to kind of, you know, build a bridge between Luger and Savage who clearly don't get along. I think to a point it's the case of Luger hasn't necessarily been positioned as a heel. Uh, sorry, Luger hasn't necessarily been presented as a heel up until this point. But because they positioned him opposites to Savage, people are just aligning with Savage because that's who they believe is more popular. So I think, yeah, okay. I think that's what it is. Wayne? Um, I'm, I'm going to... Uh, this is where the confusion started to come in 
um, with with this pay per view, um, and there's obviously a lot more of it to uh, to come as well. But um, I'm going to go agree with you, but disagree with you at the same time as well because I agree. Yes, I understand why he's only give like the pathetic uh, break up of the pin and, and which caused the uh, the DQ. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't understand it. Why? Why would Luger and Meng have this lengthy match between the two? And they go at it. You know, there's no, you're not telling me that it was a, a short match. Um, 13 minutes, yeah. Well, there you go. Um, felt, felt, felt most of it as well. Yeah, <laughs> not the only one. Um, but to have no game plan before, why not just have it as a, as a screwy finish to start off with, keep Luger fresh to, to go again? If, if, you know, if he is joining the Dungeon of Doom, why have him go against... I, I, I guess, I guess, God, I'm playing devil's advocate with WCW here. I guess, because if it had been much shorter, it might have been too obvious. And if they're in cahoots, part of it may have been, let's make it look like Luger's not on our side. Therefore, people won't see it coming. Mm, I, I think you're playing, I, I think you are just playing devil's advocate. I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> I think uh, you're inserting logic where logic isn't there, Bob. Yeah, well, well said, well said. Um, yeah, this, this, this really blew this match. I, 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 I remember we talking about last year with Meng and just like the idea that they had something there in the kind of, you know, short, sharp villain type thing, the guy who rests in the shadows, who is very destructive. Like, this this isn't the match that Meng should be wrestling. Like I, I know he was on top for large swathes of it in the middle, but a guy of Meng's size shouldn't be reduced to long submission holes in the middle of matches. It just doesn't work for a guy of, of that builder against a guy of Luger's size. It should be more stand-up attack. It should be more brawling and powerhouses and things like that. Like It's almost like Meng, Meng the, the look and Meng the wrestler don't really combine well. Um, the match really wasn't good. Um, this, is, this kind of tour point comes back to what I said last month when we were discussing Luger, which is, at some point you wake up and realise, Christ, we've got Lex Luger on our roster. Like, this was it to a point. This was like, oh yeah, he's not that popular, he's not that good, and if we put him in a situation that the crowd don't particularly care about, it'll die a death, and to a point, I think it did. Um, and, and yeah, well, still we've got another Luger match coming up, but yeah, this... This didn't work. Um, and yeah, the, there's the weird thing as well. I mean, why you talk about stealing time from early, earlier in the thing. Imagine having Sabu and Jerry Lynn going three minutes and then having Luger and Men going 13. Yeah. And I, I know to a point we come back to what I said earlier, which is it's all about fan recognition of, of the wrestlers involved. To a point that's true, but it's like, they may have recognised these two, but they didn't care. And this was the crowd that at times wanted to care. We'll see it in the next match to a degree. We'll see it in the main event. We saw it in the opener. It wasn't a bad crowd. It was just a crowd that didn't care about this match. Anyway, we're backstage with Oakland and the Giant. The Giant is in his racing overalls. He says he's going to choke Slam Hogan right through the floor. Next up, it's Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman versus Sting and, in theory, Ric Flair. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Flair isn't here, so Sting starts out going two-on-one. The fans start a loud, we want Flair chant as Anderson goes after Sting. Double A gets Sting in a full Nelson, who kicks Pillman to the floor. Uh, Sting gets Anderson in a full Nelson and drops him to the mat. 
Sting gets on top of Anderson and Pillman regroups uh, with Anderson on the outside. Sting follows them out and then nails them both with clotheslines. Sting then rallies the crowd with flare chants. Pillman offers a handshake. Sting accepts and then turns it into a press slam. Anderson reluctantly accepts a tag. Sting catapults Anderson into the corner, into Pillman, who has conveniently climbed to the top rope. Sting sends Pillman to the outside and to the guardrail. Out comes Ric Flair. Flair is out in a t-shirt and uh, in a t-shirt and trousers. He storms out and has a bandage on his forehead. Flair does his walk on the apron. The crowd amp up the volume with a "We want Flair" chant. Flair attempts to get in the ring and attack Anderson with his shoes. The referee holds him off. Pillman hits a top rope splash, but Sting gets his knees up. Sting attempts to get the tag, but Anderson stops him. Flair takes off after Pillman around the ring, but he's too slow. Pillman locks in a single leg Boston Crab and uses his arm for leverage. Sting is flaggy. Flair gives up waiting and storms into the ring. He does a lovely break up the advantage, but Anderson nails Sting with a lovely spine buster. Flair shouts at Sting to stand tall. Sting screams out, nature boy. Flair responds with, I'm here, buddy. It's like a fucking love story, this, isn't it? Uh, Sting crawls towards the corner, but Anderson picks him up and locks in a bear hug. Sting rallies into the opposite corner, ramming Pillman and Anderson into each other. Flair amps things up on the apron. Sting finally gets the hot tag. Flair bounces off the far ropes and then runs into the corner and nails Sting with the punch. Wayne? Match of the night for me. I absolutely loved it. Um, not just for the wrestling as well. Um, all the antics with, with Fleur was, was, was you know, brilliant. Um, you know, seeing two sides of Sting, um, when he was in on his own, you know, he was, he was outsmarting, um, Brian Pillman and, and Aaron Anderson and, and getting the better of them. Um, and then obviously as soon as Fleur come in, that was when he was getting his beat down and he was building up to, to, to the hot tag. Um, you know, I thought it was a really good handicap match. Uh, well, not a good handicap match. I'd say it was a great handicap match. And obviously, with Fleur never coming in, he's, or Sting never getting the rest. That you know, you probably would class it as a as an handicap match throughout. Um, but you know, listen, I had doubts all along. You could, anyone, everyone could see what was what was going to happen. Um, but uh, I loved it. I, I just knew that Fleur was going to uh, going to turn on Sting, but. All throughout with, with his antics on the side and doing the straw, I was just so behind it. I was, you know, I, I was literally like the, the 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 crowd. You know, I was on the edge of my seat, and uh, and then as soon as he turns on Sting, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit gutted, but at the same time, as uh, you know, I was just uh, I, I was all for it. But uh, um, I'm going to add on on the Horseman as a as a whole, and uh, you know, you flying Brian and sorry Brian Pillman in there is. Uh, yeah, you know, a really good, uh, really good addition, and 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 he was the one that was making me think that Flo was going to turn on him, and and the Horsemen were going to get back together because all through the Nitros he was he was doing the you know the four Horsemen signal, um, and um, well I think that's all I need to say about it really. Tom, yeah, this match was far better than it really should have been. Uh, I I enjoyed it immensely. Um, I think, again, we've, we talked to, touched on this earlier, but one of the problems that WCW has is that, that they're relying on uh, characters and, and talent that is pre-existing before coming into their promotion. However, when you've got someone like Ric Flair, this match is an absolute example of how someone like that can, can turn the crowd from being flat as a pancake to being hot as anything. He, he, he works them up like an absolute pro, um, and nobody in this match didn't do their bit. I mean, when you look at the four of them, they've all got their own talents and they've all, they're all good for their own reasons. But for me, 
Ric Flair is just, I mean, he's, you know, he's arguably the best of all time, but this match was just, uh, I, I, I was, I was just like Wayne when he was strutting up and down the ring apron. I knew what was going to happen. We all knew what was going to happen, but you were, you were cheering. I was pumping, punching the air and I was gagging for him to get in. Um, and I thought that Sting really did his bit. And, and after the match, when, when Flair attacked him, Sting was really fighting back and Sting was going apeshit, just trying to hit anything that was walking, just like, I'm not going down without a fight sort of thing. And I guess this comes back to, where we talked about Sting not being happy with the finish because he thought that it might make him look stupid that Sting had turned on him. I guess what, what, the, what the sell on that might have been to say, OK, but once you know that it's happened, you're going to just come all guns blazing and try and fight all three of us. And it's like, yeah, I, I can buy that. Um, and I thought that it had some classic psychology in this match initially as a handicap and then into a tag. Um, and yeah, I, I, it, had, it, had, it had a spine buster in it from, from Big Arn. So what more could you ask for? I've got a shit-eating grin listening to you to review this, this this match. I mean, I'm not saying this is five stars. I'm not saying this is the match of the year, although it, it, it's probably closer than you think where WCW is concerned. But this was tremendous. I actually, I think this is about as near to a perfect match as you're ever going to see, in that it was built perfectly. Sting is fantastic in this kind of role. He's, he's so believable in a babyface in peril spot. And and the bit with the story, because part of the reason Flair wasn't in the match was that he was you know, carrying an injury. If anything, I think that played into the hands in that that was why he didn't come out at the start and that was why he didn't tag in and obviously right until the end. Um, but this was phenomenal. I mean, just all, all, you're right. When, when Flair came out, the, the crowd, it was a riot. It was brilliant. And the, the weird thing was, and, and I come back to earlier trying to explain things rationally from a booking point of view. I actually think if you wanted to, you could pick this apart a little bit. Um, but when, when Flair attacked Sting, I popped. Just because it was like, yeah, it's happened. It's it, like, it was, it was always going to happen. And to a point, like, like, it make, uh, Tom, I think you're right. It makes sense in that I, I know there might have been the thought, Sting looks a bit stupid. But I think to a point, Tom, I think you're kind of right. It's like, yeah, look, I team with you. I knew it was coming. I'm going to deal with it. I, I, I thought it was brilliant. It really was. Flair's on top of his game. Anderson's great. It's great to see Pillman getting shine like this in this kind of spot. Um, you know, is it a bit clunky? Fair, you know, we, we were building up last month to Flair and Anderson, the fight of the century or fight of the decade or whatever they were calling it. And now they're back together. Yes, that's what I mean. It, 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 I could sit here and pick holes in this and it, it's certainly not perfect. But from an entertainment standpoint, they hit everything. They hit all the boxes. Really good. Uh, Wayne, anything more? No, no, I don't think I've uh, said all, uh, all I needed to say about it. Tom? Uh, I would just like to reiterate that I love Ric Flair. Woo! There we go. Woo! Woo! After the match, the ref called for a DQ. The trio attacks Sting despite his efforts to fight back. Sting's mouth is bloodied. Some fans chuck some rubbish into the ring. Mean Gene Oakland is the only person in North America or the world that's actually surprised at what's happened. He calls it the worst thing he's ever seen. And bear in mind, he sees the worst thing he's ever seen about what's every three months on WCW television. Um, to be fair, I, I often do, but usually different moments. Uh, Flair cuts a promo and they make a four horseman sign. Uh, Luger is backstage and Mike's an A. Luger says there are forces that want this match to take place and he doesn't know why. 
After a video package, we cut to Eric Bischoff, who jumps in for Tony Schiavone briefly. He and Heenan are joined by Bob Chandler, the guy who built Hogan's monster truck. And we go on top of Kobo Hall. It's the sumo monster truck match, Hulk Hogan versus the Giant. The rules are, they're in like this big circle. I'd estimate it to be probably... 80, 100 metres in uh, in diameter. Uh, the rules are the all four tyres must be outside the circle to win. Uh, they're on the Cobo the, the Hall isn't the arena they're in. They're in the Joe Lewis arena. Cobo Hall is next to it. Uh, Hulk Hogan's truck has two massive Hogan muscly arms. Dave Meltzer noted even those are on steroids. Uh, the two trucks are briefly welded together. I, I didn't quite see the point of that, but I suppose it, it kept them together. Um, the trucks push back and forth, Hogan the Giant having to mime driving the trucks in the passenger seat. They cut inside some tapes of both of them at the wheel. The Giant pushes Hogan's truck to the perimeter twice, then a third time. A charge goes off, like a firework explosion outside the circle, but Hogan's truck isn't eliminated. Eventually, Hogan's truck pushes the Giant's truck to the outside. Giant jumps out of his cockpit, backs Hogan towards the edge of the roof. He strangles Hogan, they both climb the leg ledge. Hogan turns around, knocks Giant away, and Giant waves his arms in the air, falls off the ledge, and dies. Wayne? Why? Um, in my opinion, uh, well, not in my opinion, because it's fact of life, I don't like trucks, I don't like cars, I'm not into uh, that sort of thing. I'm a, I'm a wrestling fan. Um, in, you know, why is it on the, uh, why is it on the card? I just, I, you know, the other people might, might appreciate this sort of thing, but not me. If I want to watch something like this, I'll, I'll go and pay money to, to watch it. I want to watch wrestling. You know, there's just so much more you could have done in, instead of this. Um, you know, sorry for, for going over again, but, you know, you could just get Guerrero, Benoit, people like this on, on the card, instead of getting them to, to sell the pay-per-view at the end of the main event, get them on, get them on the card. I'd, I'd probably more inclined to, to pay for a WCW pay-per-view, knowing that these guys are, are on it, not something like this. Um, you know, there was nothing of, of, of note apart from, you could obviously tell that they wasn't driving it with, with the camera shots. I thought that was just, uh, was just stupid how you could actually see that there was other people driving the, uh, the monster trucks. Well, well what, what are you going to do about that though? Well, I, in, in, in the scenario of having to present this match, which we can we can dispute, like the car. Right. Okay, maybe I'm being overcritical then, but maybe it's because I just hated the thing. Is is why I'm so overcritical. But um, you know, the the main thing of note is uh, no matter if it's a wrestling match or a monster truck match, you're going to get the same old Hogan match. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, the, Hogan's truck did hulk up towards the end, I suppose. Yeah, did you ride through Tom? I would imagine that if before watching uh, a wrestling pay-per-view you were so inclined to take LSD, that this is how the show may present itself to you. Because um, uh, if you actually watch, well, I the way really wouldn't recommend taking LSD for a WCW show. Well, well, in a way, I think the creative team probably did before they wrote this, or, some, or there must be some explanation for it because the, the actual the actual uh, match, or I, I guess if you want to call it a match. Um, it, it did have the flow of a Hulk Hogan match, so the creative team used the same principles they used for his fight for his fights. They do it; they, they did in this. However, they don't usually have him murdering someone at the end of it. So I suppose they've added that in just for a bit of creative spice. Um, but this was utterly ludicrous. I mean, I've never ever seen something so bombastic and so random and so over the top. I mean, the money they must have put behind this. 
I mean, people have said this company's got too much money because you know how much they're paying Hogan and you know how much they've got in the bank because of Ted Turner. But my God, this must have cost... Uh, I can I can only estimate this must have cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, I, I, my understanding with the monster truck thing is that it's more of a partnership. That you know, I, I don't get the sense it was anything they necessarily sought out on their own volition. In that, I think it was just more an opportunity that came up. They, I don't I don't really understand the ins and outs of it, but I'm assuming they kind of came together and said we've got this opportunity to do this WCW partnership with the monster truck guys, and so they said okay we can make this work, and this is how they kind of got around it. Like believe it or not, I, I well I didn't love it, but I, I didn't hate having a monster truck segment on a match. I thought both trucks were quite cool. It was it was so outlandish, it, it kind of felt like it belonged in a really weird kind of way. Uh I, I thought the actual match, if you want to call it that itself, was excessive in terms of, you know, there was a it was pretty boring to watch and they're both just like as I said, they they both got welded together. It was like I don't know if it was raining, I think it was just more they uh, they put a lot of water on the roof so the trucks just kept spinning around. On the roof. On the roof. Um and then <laughs> And, and yeah, and it was weird because it was like a lot of the comebacks, if you want to call that, didn't really make sense. Like once one truck's going backwards and the other one's going forwards, there's nothing that should be able to stop it because that's how momentum and and you know all that kind of stuff, science stuff works. So once yeah, but- Hogan got near to the edge and then all of a sudden it kind of came to a halt. It found some great God, Tom. Yeah, no, it, it, I mean the way that it, the way that it went just reminded me of, of the way that you that you could think about wrestling, pro wrestling, when you watch it because you think, oh, a, a guy can't take punch ten punches to the face without falling over, or at least if you apply that logic to it, you can really pick holes in it. But in the world of theatrical sports entertainment and pro wrestling as we know it. I don't think it was. I don't think it was the worst thing I've ever seen. No, but... I, I didn't either. I mean, we'll, we'll come into the second to him getting pushed off the roof. But uh, as much as Wayne said, we could you, you could find loads of time for Guerrero and, and Benoit and Malenko. I the, the actual match itself, bit I didn't mind. I guess the question is, Wayne, the bit after the match, what did you think? Um. It's not the first time I've seen murder on WCW. Um, I mean, we only saw the roles reversed at the end of uh, Bash at the Beach. Um, and uh, and obviously on one of the episodes of Nitro. So I've seen Organ go through two broken necks. So, uh, you know, I wasn't surprised to... Uh, it's full brawl on Bash at the Beach, but yeah, carry on. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Uh, and... Um, yeah, it was, like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised seeing it, but it was just a bit... Weird. <laughs> Tom? Ding dong, the giant is dead. I, I literally had a vision of Hulk Hogan getting on a broomstick and flying off the top of the roof and going off into the distance, um, a.k.a. the Wizard of Oz, because uh, uh, it, it was so over the top, um, the way it was done. Hogan's acting afterwards. I laughed out loud at his face afterwards when it, when it showed him. It was like... I don't know, the face that you pull when you realise there's no more beer in the fridge. Just like, just complete, just like, well, he didn't actually seem that upset. He was just like, oh my, like, I, I, it was just so theatrical. And uh, I, if they'd stuck with it, if they'd stuck with it and actually put um, the giant off TV for a while, I'd say, wow, they're really pushing the envelope here. They're really trying to get people to believe this, this stuff. But we know that's not what happened. And um, um, yeah, there's not really a lot else to say. Yeah, I... I, I, I'm not sure what they wanted the audience to feel watching that. 
I'm not sure what emotion I was meant to feel. Shock, I suppose. But like, once that wears off, what, what would they, because I was sat there, I was kind of like, okay. And you, and you're right. I, I think if they'd have just written off the giant, it would have been actually quite an interesting story, I suppose. In the, well, I think, I think, sorry, Bob, I, I think what they, what they were trying to do is they were trying to do two things here. They were trying to show you that the giant is because he's part of Dungeon of Doom, he has he's otherworldly and he's able to fall four, five stories off a building and then 15 minutes walk out for a wrestling match. And also they were trying to play this into Hulk Hogan's sort of uh, psych- psychological sort of um, balance juggling act that he's trying to do because they're sort of hinting that he's got this dark and evil side and, you know, as you see, the promos that we'll touch on, all that's been hit, indicated to. Um, and I think they that doing this probably achieved that but they surely could have done it in a more precise and, and clear way because uh, this was ludicrous. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd say we'll we'll we'll, um, we'll wrap this story up in a few minutes when we get to what happened next. Uh, we get a couple of minutes of Bischoff fading emotion, then we cut straight to the next match. As, as I put my notes, imagine how that looks in the arena, like because we've got two minutes of transition on TV, but in the arena they watched a guy get killed, and then we just moved on to the next match, and, and nothing happened. They didn't abandon the show. They didn't do anything. It's Randy Savage against Lex Luger. The pair both feign some shock. Uh, Luger offers Savage a handshake. Savage declines and goes after Luger. Heenan says they aren't allowing any cameras outside. Out walks Jimmy Hart. Luger takes control of the match. Savage rallies, but Luger stays on top. Heenan is getting irate on commentary. Luger hits the double axe handle off of the apron to Savage on the floor. Savage rams Luger's head off the guardrail. Jimmy Hart gets on the apron. Savage runs into Luger's knee. Luger goes for a pin, uses the ropes. Nick Patrick is having a leisurely chat with Hart. Of course, Luger gets whipped into Hart. Savage then hits an elbow drop and wins the match. Tom? This may be one of the worst... No, this may be the worst match I've ever seen. I I didn't see, and I double-checked, one wrestling hold or move in the entire match. Um, I... I, I really cannot stress how much I disliked this. Um, the reasons for on the side of Randy Savage was for the, the, the points I touched on earlier about the fact he clearly is too injured to be wrestling, um, and he he shouldn't be in the ring in the first place. And, and Luger simply cannot work, um, so he shouldn't be in there in the ring with Randy Savage anyway. So bearing in mind what had happened before, surely that would be in the minds of the, of the crowd. And the crowd aren't hearing, like we are, Heenan going mental and, and, and really stressing how much this is bothering him and how, how sort of distraught he is by the whole thing. The crowd must sort of just be thinking, OK, uh, I guess we've got this to look forward to now. But then watching it, there was nothing to get excited about in the match. So I suppose they probably was, would have spent most of it thinking, OK, let's wait, let's get through this and work out what's actually happened to the giant. It was so pointless. Um, and, and again, Savage looked just so bored. He looked like he was going to fall asleep at some, uh, a couple of points. And um, I did not like it. Why? This is the problem you're going to get, really, when you're giving away these types of matches on free TV. Um, and then they've got, you know, the, the match on, on the pay-per-view. You know, people are not going to... Uh, going to buy into it um, I thought it was an absolute dud um, I, I just like, like Tom said you know, there, there was no wrestle holes or anything like that um, I mean obviously I didn't go into too much detail having a, having a look at it but it, it just didn't come across as, uh, as you know, your typical wrestling match and, and if I wasn't confused by the finish of, um, of, of the previous Luger match I was, you know, I was even more confused at, the, at this one 
Yeah, I, I, I'd struggle to find, I think you struggle to find or recall a, a Randy Savage match that was so irrelevant. I think you'd struggle to take two guys who were more well known and have a more forgettable match. It was just so strange. But I think the kicker to all of it, on top of everything else you guys are quite rightly pointing out, was that I get the feeling the crowd were quite flat about after what happened to the Giant. I mean, I don't know. I don't know whether they all sat there and went, it's a work, it's a story, what's going to happen? I don't know what they were thinking. But it was just a weird atmosphere. I don't know whether they were thinking, oh my God, he's dead. I don't know that they were thinking that. But I imagine some of them might have been. You know, it, it was presented well enough in a way that kind of made sense. It's, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sitting here and saying, oh my God, they believe it. They, they think wrestling's real. It just, it was a crowd that felt like it should have reacted more to Savage, more to Luger, and it didn't. And I, I, I just don't know. It, it just didn't add up. Um, and then, the match itself was was awful. I mean, you're right, Tom. I mean, you know, Savage is in a state to wrestle. Luger, I mean, that's the thing. Part of the whole point with with Luger coming back in was the thought he might be motivated again. We didn't see it tonight. Um, I don't know. It was a weird match. Probably the worst of Savage's career, maybe. I don't know. Maybe the one earlier was. Um, Luger, no, I think, I think this one was, yeah. Um, Luger won't have many worse either. It was just so bizarre. But it... it as I say, I don't know how this match would have played out had the giant stuff not had happened before, and that that's that's where I that's the limit I'll go with that point. I'm not saying the crowd thought the giant was dead. I'm just saying that I think the reaction may have been different had this had just been the next match on the show. And the giant are now scheduled to wrestle in our main event at Halloween Havoc for the WCW World Heavyweight Title. That's what I do know. Yeah, but why can't we find out anything? I mean. Is it a lot to ask? Do you want me to get on my hands and knees and beg? If you want, I'll do that. I'll get down, I'll talk to the truck. I'll tell him, please, just send us some information. Is, is that hard to find out? I'll show you how to get to the building. Take a cab around the building. Walk outside of the building. You'll see Cobo Hall. But could someone please tell us what is going on, please? I can't help you, Brain. I'm just like you are. We're... We both have headsets. No, you're not like I am. You don't care. No. Yeah, nobody's you like You don't care. You can care less. Yes, I do care. Well, you don't show like you care. You keep asking me stupid questions, and you're sticking up for the other people that won't tell us something. The reason they're not telling us something is because it's bad. Because it's bad. It could be. It absolutely could be. As soon as we know, you will know. And we are We're still waiting. I guess uh, there's no giant yet. And, and I don't know. We have what? about? Anybody have a walkie-talkie? Heenan wants answers, so he walks off. Heenan then comes back on and shows some real fire. Heenan gets on his knees and begs for some information. Um, Tom, uh, maybe it, given what Heenan knows and the preposterousness of the situation, it, it might look a bit corny, but I'll give Heenan a lot of credit for showing some genuine fire in that few minutes. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I actually really believed uh, and, and was invested in it as a result of Heenan. And again, I'm a bit biased sometimes because of my pre-determined uh, opinions of, of people involved in, in, in these in these uh, wrestling shows and, and promotions. But Heenan uh, did such a good job. And the, the, the references that when he, when he said, he said, um, I knew his dad and you don't you don't appreciate what, what this means to me as a result of knowing his dad. And that's backstory that 
probably 75% of the matches on the card didn't have. Because you immediately think, wow, yeah, he knew his dad, and actually he's, he's emotionally invested in it, which is uh, darn sight more than most, most of the crowd and 90% of the people watching the, sh- the, the show probably are. Um, so, yes, it was a little bit over the top. Um, I, I thought he, he didn't really need to do that thing when he got down on his knees. I thought that was, that was pushing it a little bit too far. But give the guy some credit. It, for, for, such a, for such a preposterous story, he sold it really well, I thought. Why? Yeah, I mean that'll be the three of us because I thought he was he was great in this. Um, you know, you really uh, you really believe what he was uh, what he was saying. Yeah, like like we've all said, you know, he, he is a bit over the top, but he shows so much emotion that you know you can you can you, you can actually believe it because, uh, like I said, with the backstory that he gives, um, you know, he, he obviously ties it in with, uh, with with obviously Andre and everything like that, and uh, you know you can understand why he's uh, why he's as emotionally involved as as he is. So uh, yeah, that, you know, it was a bit of a shocker of a of a storyline to, to show the emotion uh, on, but uh, but yeah, that, you know, it's uh, I, I thought he was uh, it was fantastic. Michael Buffett introduces Hulk Hogan. Hogan picks up the mic. He says it wasn't supposed to happen. He then shakes to tell us that the giant is dead, presumably. And the giant walks out and he's absolutely fine, Wayne. And dry. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's worth saying that that, that, geographically there's no part of the river that backs onto the building, but they were trying to tell the story that he may have fallen into the river. That was part of the uncertainty. And you've heard some of that in the Heenan uh, segment we just played. Um, But, yeah, like, uh, I, I think it would have made a lot more sense. Well, all right. I think it would have made a bit more sense if Giant comes out and he's piss wet through. Because it would have been, holy shit, he just survived a five-story fall into a river and now he's here to wrestle a match. I think that would have been on the, just on the inside of believable. It would have just about made sense. But his hair was perfectly dry, perfectly in place. He was walking absolutely fine. And Tom, it just took you completely out of the moment. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't give it so much credit as uh, uh, the idea of saying that his hair being wet would have sort of solidified the legitimacy of the story. Like, let's imagine for, for also you could add, maybe add a touch of seaweed into his hair uh, just to sort of push the point home. Um, but uh, maybe he could have come up with the shark because the last well, sharks don't exist in rivers. It was, no, it, was, it was almost funny. But he wasn't even limping. He wasn't even limping. So if the crowd weren't confused during the Luger Savage match, they would have been positively perplexed by his stride. Uh, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. Wait, Wayne, does this segment work if if he comes out piss wet through like he's just fallen in the river? Because yeah, well. I think it might have done just. Well, I, I, I don't think it makes it all that more believable because, you know, it, it's a five-story... I'm, I'm sorry, but no matter how big you are or, or, or how hard you are, you're falling off a five-story building into uh, the Detroit, Detroit River, which is probably absolutely freezing, um, and then... Um, and then go in about ten minutes after to to go in a wrestling match. I, I don't think it is is that believable. So whether he's wet or dry, um, I, you know, I'm not I'm not really uh, I'm not really having that. But it, it goes hand in hand with what I said before. You know, I wasn't in in that much shot when he came out because as I said, you know, we, we we saw Hogan get a snap neck and and all he was in was uh, was well 
he's selling it a little bit. I, un- I understand with the, with the net brace, but maybe they're just doing it in a, in a sense of uh, like uh, I think it was Tom that mentioned it before about you know it just it just plays with uh, with the dungeon of doom and um, and as he as he survived it because mystical powers or whatever. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but uh, you know maybe that's just some addition to it. I don't know. I don't know. But it would have at least been a coherent story. I, I would have at least been able to give them that, although God knows I've defended WCW enough already this evening. Anyway, it, it's match on. As I say, Giant is absolutely fine. It's Hulk Hogan with Jimmy Hart versus the Giant with the Taskmaster for the WCW World Heavyweight title. Hogan has the Taskmaster face paint on. Hogan starts off by attempting to take the Giant off his feet. He attempts a body slam, but he's too heavy. Giant takes control, choking Hogan in the corner. He sticks out his long leg and boot into Hogan's neck, which is quite the visual. Hogan rallies in a test of strength, but the Giant fights back. Giant shakes for a suplex, but things break down, and Giant goes for a back elbow, then into a soft-looking body slam. Giant goes for a big left drop, but Hogan pops up. Hogan rallies and sends Giant's heads off of opposing turnbuckles while going for a ten-punch. He then bites him on the forehead and goes for a back rake. Hogan goes for multiple clotheslines, the third one sends Giant over the top rope to the outside. Taskmaster goes to lead the Giant to the back, Hogan fetches him and brings him back into the ring. Giant goes for a chokehold, which whips the crowd up. Giant then hits a backbreaker, Hogan then puts in a bear hug. Giant hits another soft body slam, then goes to the back for a, goes back for the bear hug. The crowd rally behind Hogan. Giant nails Hogan with a chokeslam, of course Hogan kicks out, of course he no-sells it and hokes up. The crowd are not receptive for it, though. Hogan hits the big boot, but the giant stays on his feet. Hogan signals for a body slam. Hits it. The crowd pop. It's 1985 again. He drops a leg. We cut back to uh, we cut back to seeing the ref down. It turns out Hart hit the referee. Hart shoves the ref down. Hits Hogan in the back with the title belt, which, of course, Hogan no-sells. Hogan goes after Hart, but giant puts Hogan in a bear hug. Hart calls for reinforcements. Out come Luger and Savage. Savage runs into the ring, randomly falls over, Luger then goes after Savage, turns, becoming heel, and out comes the Yeti. The Yeti Woo! comes in, seven foot two, wrapped in well, toilet roll, I think, um, and basically just starts humping Hogan. I think that's the best way to describe it. Giants got Hogan in a bear hug, and Yeti walks out the other side of Hogan and just starts gyrating up against him. They, they, I, I got them on that. They get close, which I think is probably romantically is probably the best way to put it. Uh, Luger puts Savage in the torture rack. Heenan says, "Quote: You will never see a pay per view like this again." No shit, Bobby. Uh, Michael Bubba then announces that the Giant won by disqualification, but reiterates that the bell cannot change hands on disqualification. Heenan is happy. Happy developments. He says all eyes in the building are on Hogan, despite the fact that streams of people are leaving because the show has ended. Wayne, what did you think of this? What was going on? There was there was that much of it. I mean, to I'm, I'm, I'm going to be really quick on the match. It was the usual Hogan match, um, so there's nothing really not on that side. He's he's finally got the uh, the persona to match his heel tactics, um, but. The finish, I just, you know, I was like taken aback by the finish again. Another, another com- confusing finish. I, I just didn't, couldn't get my head around what was, uh, what was happening. And then, like you say, you know, with with the Yeti coming out, and uh, um, it was, it, you know, he was more dressed like a a, a, a mummy, uh, something like that, you know. And, and Yeti's meant to be like 
furry, polar bearish. I'm, you know, in th- that that kind of sense. So I, you know, I just didn't under. Uh, well, he uh, came out of an, an iceberg on nitro. For what that's worth. Well, in fact, what they should have done is not had the iceberg on nitro. Uh, have giant fall off, go into the river. Uh, have the uh, have an iceberg appear inside. Hogan takes somebody else onto the dungeon of doom, and then the giant come out of the iceberg. Then I would have believed it. Whoa. No, you're not having that one. Um, I, um, <laughs> there was a sense of sarcasm in there, but, uh, but, but well, it was probably better than a lot of the creative work that we saw on the show. So well, I'd, I'd actually give you some props for that, Wayne. Go on, Carol. Um, but the but the involvement with Luger, I mean, you know, is is he in there? Is he is it is he not in there? Again, it just goes with 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 what I said before with with the match he had with Meng. Why was it so long? Why was there no communication before and with Meng? Meng seemed pissed off afterwards and legitimately pissed off. Um, and um, it just you know all, all of it together, it just um, you know it, I, I just didn't understand it at all. But also the miss Luger turning. Some, something else was going on and then the camera shot back and, and Luger's giving the kicks in on, on Savage or Hogan I can't remember what it was it was like well where's that just come from why, why did we not sure see the turn um, but yeah it was it was an absolute mess uh, just too much going on Tom make sense of all this I have nothing but questions what was on Hogan's head where was the wrestling why were the crowd so into it why was the Yeti dressed as a mummy why did the giant win via D- DQ uh, when there was actually no attack on him, as far as I could see? The whole thing was completely baffling. Uh, I can't make sense of it, um, but in a weird, weird way, it was the correct ending to this show. Because because you, you were left sort of scratching your head and going... And the thing is, we, we can the fact that we've talked about this so much and when there's been so much to talk about means this pay-per-view will stand up over the test of time and it will be something that people refer back to just because you're very, un- you're very unlikely going to see something quite so quite like this ever again. That, that's, um, that's not the hallmark of a successful wrestling company long term, but I know what you mean. No, I, I agree, but, but if they were booking pay-per-views like this every month, then it wouldn't last, you know, wouldn't last a year. But I, I, I hope that they've done it in the in the context of it being a Halloween show. Therefore, things need to be bombastic and surprising. And, and as we've talked about for the last, you know, hour and a half, whatever we've done, just uh, completely over the top. So, but just j- j- jumping back slightly, the match itself was dreadful. Um, and that's all I'm going to say. Um, it could have, again, it could have possibly been um, one of the worst main events to any pay-per-view I've ever seen. Um, but there was so much else going on that... Uh, I almost forgot about that, and I was so wrapped up in just, you know, you had no idea what was coming next. And I know, as you say, Bob, that's not the way that you run a, a company long term. But as a as a as a as an as a, as a watcher and experiencing it, it was in a weird way very entertaining. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, to, to address this was the Giants' second wrestling match, full stop. So that might partly explain the quality of the match. I don't actually think it was that bad. I mean, all right, yeah. It, oh, it was they, dreadful. Well, they were they were doing very basic stuff, but I mean, and it was yeah, basically it was Hogan and Andre. That's what it was. That was that was the idea. It was, it was Hogan against a guy who was far more mobile than Andre, but far less over. That was basically the yeah, I guess a version of Hogan that's far more mobile but far less over than when he was. I, I said eighty five. That's not quite right. But WrestleMania three. Um, but yeah, the, the match is. 
itself was an afterthought. Again, like, you know, you're, you come in with Giant coming back from the dead, it's difficult to get invested in a match anyway. Um, the match was predictable. You know, Giant does his big choke slam. It's been wiping out all and sundry. And of course Hogan no sells it. Of course he does. Um, and then we get to the stuff at the end. It's just so bizarre. It's like Luger comes, you know, we've got Jimmy Hart turning and like Jimmy Hart, whose character that I, I cannot understate how much I despise Jimmy Hart's role in, in, in Hulk Hogan's run in WCW. I've never for one second understood why Hogan had Jimmy Hart by his side from a kayfabe point of view. It made no sense. And you know what? It be, it began to make sense when it was like, okay, look, it's a, not a pairing that works, but Hart's just by Hogan's side. That's what he does all the way through. Fair enough. And then, of course, Hart turns on Hogan. Of course he does. Luger comes out. Of course he turns. And, my God, the Yeti stuff at the end. I mean, if you wanted to put the icing on the proverbial cake for this show, that was the way to do it. Just, a, a, you know, the weird thing was that... This was meant for Giant Gonzalez. From what I can recall, they had problems getting him into the country, so he wasn't on Nitro. They had Yeti on Nitro, but it wasn't him. And then they got him into the country, but he wasn't able, he wasn't fit to perform. So they managed to go out and find another guy called Ron Reese, who's also seven foot two, and tall than the Giant. I mean, it was a quite the spectacle, Hogan being the third tallest man in, in the, well, I call it a bear hug. Um, all very strange. I, it's a bit like the giant thing. It, it's so perplexing. I, I I don't have enough emotional investment to get angry about it. It's just okay. It, this happened, right? And that's it. Like I, I'm not angry about it. And, and I don't know what you mean, Tom. There's like it's not necessarily a positive or negative thing. By God, it was memorable. You're not going to forget this in a hurry. Um, and of all the of all the crimes that have been committed on wrestling pay per view in 1995. That's not the biggest one. You know, someone said, as I said at the top of the bit, someone said, is this the worst pay-per-view of the year? No, it's not. In part, that's because of of, of the Pillman and that, that tag match and, and to a lesser degree, the opening match as well. But in part, because it was like, at least it was different. And, and, and you look at In Your House 4, the review in part two, by God, that was boring. And you look at Bash at the Beach back in July, by God, that was boring. This wasn't that. And, and and you can at least you can at least give them that. Uh, Wayne, your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of ten. Well, can I can I just add something though? Oh. I know we're obviously pressed for time and that, but um, just to go back on the match, you know, I totally agree with Tom. You know, it it was it was a disaster of a match. But you hit the nail on the head. They were trying to recreate. Uh, Hogan versus Andre but this is the problem that we've got, and this is the reason why Hogan's getting booed is because. How long has that been going on for? Ten years, ten plus years, um, and and this this is the issue with it, and that's why the match itself was, um, you know, was was god awful, is because we've just seen it over and over again. Uh, and your overall thoughts on the show, Ryan, and the score? Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, well, like you said, it was it's, it's not a pay per view. I'm going to be forgetting anytime soon. Um, I, you know, I, although it's it's a low score rating, I'm going to give it a very memorable four. Tom? Yeah, I would agree. My, I, I was going to give it a four as well. My original score was a three, just because, really, when, you, when you're watching a pro wrestling uh, product, you should rate it on the pro wrestling. But we, we, we all know it's not just pro wrestling, is it? It's the, um, the, the entertainment side of it as well. And um, this, is the kind of, this is the kind of thing that, um, as I said, will be talked about for years to come. Um, it had a few great moments in it. 
uh, and a couple of characters that I hope we'll never see again. But if you wanted to, we could come back and watch this. Um, so, as you say, Bob, there's there's worse things you could watch out there. But if you want to watch um, a wrestling product, I think you'd struggle. Yeah, I, I, I'll give it one of the most unqualified score. I'll give it a three. Um, but again, on the boat, there, there's some absolute shite on this show. There really is in places. Um, but, you know, as, as I say, give me memorable shit wrestling or a memorable shit show over a boring show any day of the week. That plus the fact that we got... Uh, as I said, I may be talking myself into believing that's the best match this year, yeah, aside from ECW, that tag match. It was perfect. It was great. Like, I, I, I've never watched a heel turn and pop for it quite like that and been so excited just because, like, yeah, go on, Flair, do him. Like that. I thought the opener was better than you guys are selling it on. Uh, yeah, it's just such a... It's just a really bizarre show. It, it's... It's like, there's stuff on this show that was 10 out of 10, there's stuff on this show that was 0 out of 10, a lot of it feels somewhere in the middle, um, but it was like, yeah, I've seen worse this year, and that's that's how we're going to end it. Let me start off by saying, this past Saturday on WCW Saturday Night, I never thought I'd be standing in the ring talking to you three, but as we saw, it all happened to Sting just last night. There was a thing of beauty, Tony! The Stinger, he fought for his life. He gave everything he had. And then he hit Slick Rick with the tag. Nature Boy came in, styling and profiling. And then he cut Sting's throat. The carnage that ensued has brought us one step closer to this. The symbol of excellence. Some people call us a gang. Some people call us a militia. We call it a dynasty, the greatest team on the face of God's green earth. Tony Schiavone, for two years now, everywhere I've gone, everybody's asked me the same thing. When are you going to put this back together? And I told them, be careful what you wish for. You just may get it. Now, Sting, do not hold your head down in shame. You did the impossible. You were more man than we ever believed. You fought two of the horsemen for ten minutes. But pure mathematics and the law of physics will tell you it can't be done. So we all find ourselves today with our hand going into that familiar cramp. There's now three, soon there'll be four, and you know what that means. Tell them, Nate. And brother, doesn't ever feel good. Oh my, he is pond scum. Crying out loud. Somebody go get me a bag. I want to vomit. Guess what? Guess what? We're back. We're back. And whether you like it or you don't like it, learn by God to love it. Because it's the best thing going today. Sting, you're like a lot of women. We deal with every day. We're going to tell you what you want to hear. We're going to do what we want to do. And if you don't like it, if your friends don't like it, next Monday night on Nitro, the horsemen will be in town ready to go 
power. And you'll get a rare version of me live reading the uh, TV report. There's only one show, so I, I, I didn't bother to pre-record it. Uh, we open up Nitro on the 13th of October with comments from the announcers on Halloween Havoc. Steve McMichael says, if fans were smart enough to buy the show, they'd have seen something never before seen on pay-per-view. Something that was quote-unquote absolutely awesome. Apparently attempted murder live on television is awesome. Uh, Eddie Guerrero defeated Craig Pittman with a victory roll, which was treated as an upset. During the match between Scott Norton and the Shark, we see Heenan dining with a Japanese delegate, uh, kind of not at ringside but on the floor level by the by the bleachers, by the bit where it starts raising up. Uh, the match ends by a countout. Heenan starts mentioning the names of some various WCW shows and then gets given an envelope by the delegate. We get a promo from Arnanson, Pillman and Flair. During the promo, Pillman and Flair mimic Sting's struggles to get a tag from Flair last night, which I thought was quite good. Arnanson says there is three and soon there will be four. Flair calls out Sting and says next week the horseman will be in town. Eric Bischoff says next Monday night will be interactive and the fans will get to be the matchmaker. Sabu defeats Disco Inferno. After the match, Sabu goes for a high angle sent on to the outside. Inferno moves off the table and Sabu lands on it, but not through it. The main event is the American Males against Lex Luger and Meng with the Taskmaster and Jimmy Hart. The match ends with Luger putting Badwell in a torture rack. McMichael sprays Heenan with silly string and says trick or treat. We close the show with the Dungeon of Doom. Hart tells us next week he will tell us why he turned on Hogan. Basically, I presume because they they, they turned Hart and had no backstory to it at all. Um, so they just said, I'll tell you next week. Uh, the Giant is out there with Hogan's world title belt. The Giant says he will defend the title next week. Um, we've got along with our expected gents, so we'll, we'll curtail some of what we we're going to discuss, but we, 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 we must end the show discussing Hulk Hogan. Um, Tom, Hogan dressed completely in black. They're talking about him being in the dark side. They're, he's getting booed in Chicago. He's say he's referencing OJ Simpson and the black glove and saying, you know, everyone knows what a, a man with a black glove and a black rag can do and all of that. Um, they're not turning him heel yet, but they got pretty damn close. Or, or they're, they're, they're testing the water. I think that's certainly fair to say. Yeah, they're dipping their toes in, aren't they? I, I think um, the, the I, I, his promos throughout the month have been showing signs. They, they've been a bit up and down, really. They, they seem to be going all in. In, in, in the promo from the, um, the ninth uh, Nitro episode, he, he told Mean Gene to shut up at the start of his promo. And you think, you know, back to the old days, it was always, let me tell you something, Mean Gene. It was almost like Mean Gene was part of the promo, and you almost wouldn't be the same if he wasn't there. But then he was cutting him off right from the start, and you thought, wow, okay, this guy's changing, there's something going on. Um, and he was throwing a few digs at Vince in the, in the, in, in the WWF, and, um, he, he also strangely compared his beard to the Washington Monument, um, which just, I, I don't even know where to start with that. Um, but there were, there were another couple of things he said. He said, like, the, the evil within Hulk Hogan is real. Um, and he said things like my so-called friends and the bad guy Hulk Hogan. So he is sowing his own seeds to say there is going to be a change in me um, and you're all going to see it. And the first sign of it is me, you know, trimming my tash and, and wearing black. But it, I, I do find it interesting. I, I, I don't think the company is fully committed into pushing him 100 percent heel, as you say. But they're certainly sort of seeing how people react to it because we know, like you say, the Chicago crowd have been booing him. People are getting tired of the same old shtick. And uh, I think what they're worried about is that they might be killing their cash cow, uh, which is obviously what the worry would be because he, he makes them so much money. He obviously costs a lot of money, but he probably makes more than he, than he, than he costs. 
So it's a big risk for them doing it full flat out heel. But um, they're they're pushing him closer and closer to that. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, it's it's interesting timing that they they're essentially like testing the water at a point where it looks like Hogan's going to be off TV for a few months. Um, Wayne, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I said it before, but I'll say it again. He's he's no got he's no having the persona to to match his move set. But um, like, I'm I'm in the camp of the the Chicago fans. You know, I have been seeing this stuff for, for far too long now, and um, I've, I've I've completely lost patience with it. I'm you know just not behind him at all. And you know, when you've seen something for for so long. Um, and you know it, it goes stale or, or starts to go stale, then you know then something different is uh, um, is, is only good. So um, you know OJ Simpson reference aside, you know I'm I'm liking the new side of Hogan. Well, 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 he referenced OJ Simpson, then he almost became a murderer on the well, pay per view. True, true, yeah. So uh, maybe he was he, he was completely right about the uh, black gloves then, wasn't it? Um, and um, like I was saying, you know, the I'm, I'm, I'm liking um, the the new side of Hogan, the the edgier Hogan, the darker Hogan. Um, he's he's got a bit of a vengeful dark side to him, which uh, which is obviously coming out, and uh, and you know I'm. It's obviously because it's it's not what you're used to, and and that's why why I'm liking it. But um, yeah, you know they, they've got to dip the toe in the waters, as as you guys have uh, have said, um, just to change it up. Because um, you know if 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 your cash cow is is getting booed, then uh, then it's it's only going to lead down one road. So you, you you've obviously got to uh, um, you know you've got to obviously try everything out yourself, and uh, and and it's working, um, or, or you know it's. Uh, you know, it, it could work. I'm liking how it's. You know, it, I'd probably say it's it's a bit like a carbon copy of um, Bizarro with um, Superman. Um, you know, it's it's like the complete opposite of. Well, it's not the complete opposite of Hogan, but it, it, it's it's more like uh, you know um, what what Hogan could be if he was uh, if it, the the dark side. So uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm 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 intrigued to see where it goes if it does go anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I think you're right when you say that the Hogan stuff is beginning to feel played out. I mean, I, I'd argue it's it's kind of begun to feel played out all this year. Um, but I, I think there's another point that we can transition to, into into this a little bit now, um, just before we finish, which is that if Hogan goes away next month, their roster's in a really odd shape in that they've got... Not many baby faces. Now they turn flare heel again. Um, and one thing Dave Meltzer said, well, wouldn't it have been far stronger if actually to turn Sting heel and then you'd have had flare on the baby face side. And that would have made a lot of sense. Yeah, you know, we, we've had, we had discussions last year talking about flare and Hogan can't coexist properly on, on that side. And there is a desire in a lot of places to cheer at flare. So I wonder whether if you could have kept flare a baby face, put Hogan onto the, the heel side and whether you wanted to go back to that match so quickly, I don't know. Um, but that might have at least balanced things out. I mean, Tom, the things I would, is it fair to say things open up if Hogan turns heel in terms of a list of opponents? Uh, they open up, but I wouldn't say that they open up to a point where you can, you can imagine, uh, you know, two, three years worth of, uh, main events because Hogan's never going to be sitting on mid card at this stage in his career. Um, and I think it would it would it would renew people's interest in him, um, but it would all to, it would all 
sort of be balanced on how they handle it and how much they invest in it. Because I, I can just, I can see it coming. I can see them trying this and they'll, they'll, t- they'll, they'll dangle the cheese and then, uh, Sting will get injured or something and then they'll go, oh, okay, we, we can't do this now. And they'll pull it right back. Cause without Hogan, Sting is, is all they have as a babyface at the moment, literally. Cause Savage is, is, is knocking on, um, long-term injuries door. And, uh, I, I, I don't know if their reliance on Hogan well, I, in fact, no, I do know that their reliance on Hogan as he was would prove to be an eventual downfall. But it's good to see they're at least trying to go somewhere else with it. It's just I have concerns, like I say, that they're going to they're going to they're cut it short before they really let it let it run. Because I'd be really interested to see where it would run. Because, as you say, even if they turn Sting heel, that'd be pretty revolutionary. If they turn Hogan heel, that's even bigger because of the history that he's got behind him and the length of his career that he's got. Um, and the fans would really buy into it, and it would create a whole new lease of life for Hulk Hogan um, in, the, in, in professional wrestling. Uh, I just don't believe that they're going to do it at this stage. I think if you turn Hogan heel, you get Hogan against Savage, you get Hogan against Sting, and that's 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 a massive money match that they're going to have to get to at some point. They can't keep Definitely. that off. Um, and I think Hogan as a heel, one is bigger, Hogan as a heel versus Sting as a face, rather than Sting as a heel and Hogan as a face. I think Hogan in the heel role is a bigger match. And also I get the feeling Hogan's probably a little bit more rounded to play a heel character than Sting would be. I don't know, but we'll see about that. You get Hogan and Savage, you can eventually get to Hogan and Flair, because, you know, it, it's not like even if Flair had to turn again in six months' time, he's so popular and over, I don't think it'd matter. I think you've got a year's worth of, of, of matches there with Hogan as a heel. Um, and I think it'd be really entertaining. But yeah, I, I think they've, you know, they've got to get to Hogan and Sting, Wayne. I think that's what it comes down to, and you've got to turn one of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's the old diesel dilemma, isn't it? I mean, we, we, we covered it quite a few months back when we was on about turning diesel heel and, and having the, uh, you know, the baby faces to, to go at. Um, you know, we've, we've obviously Hogan not too big to be a face, but too, too, maybe too stale to, to be a face now. Um, going through, Savage and, you know, maybe a few others and then just lead into, to the big payoff with Sting would be an absolute money match for the WCW in, uh, in, in, in my eyes and, uh, I'd be, I'd be all for it, definitely. And that will bring to a conclusion this much show. I, if we've got any wrestling 20 years ago statisticians out there, I'd be interested to know whether that was our, our longest pay-per-view review ever, but it, it, it felt it, but we had plenty to discuss. Uh, thank you very much to Wayne Lithgow. Wayne? Thanks very much, Bob. Uh, you are on Twitter. I am, yes. Wayne L84. And Tom Martin. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Uh, it's been great. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed the pay-per-view and enjoyed the podcast recording even more. And you are on Twitter. I am. It's Mark Out Martin with a Y. Excellent. If, if we don't hear you before, I think you're, you're going to, well, you will be on, uh, on the next UFC review show. We've got a, uh, trip to Progress Wrestling, uh, in, in the meantime as well, which I'm, uh, very much looking forward to. Not, uh, 
But been, I've been in London too long not to kind of see what the hype's about. So I think me and Tom will will get to check that out. Maybe at the end of uh, the next show that we're on, we might we might detail our experiences of that. But I, the modern stuff, I, I like to keep to the end of the show so you can keep in time. But anyway, I've been Bob Bamber. You can find me on Twitter at Bobby Bamber. Uh, you can find the podcast on Twitter at Wrestling Twenty YRS. It's Wrestling Twenty YRS on Facebook as well. Wrestling Twenty YRS dot com is basically where you can find everything else. Email subscription, iTunes, R link of our blogs all of the back episodes and uh, everything else really uh you've got um, a couple of interesting shows to look forward to the volume two is wwf looking at uh, in your house four uh, and volume three is ecw but anyway i've been bob bamba this has been the october volume one of the october 1995 edition of the wrestling 20 years ago podcast and until next time goodbye